This podcast is brought to you by Acme Markets. Fresh foods, local flavors. 93.3 WMMR Audio On Demand presents the Preston and Steve Show podcast. We're going to get to our next guest on the line. He is a good friend, and he's a good man for coming on this morning, this last-minute interview that uh, Casey scheduled yesterday. Yeah. Um, but uh, Fight World is now streaming on Netflix. It's really good. Uh, and he's been all over the world. Yeah. Uh, trying different uh, styles and cultures and meeting those people and finding out who they are and what they do and why they do what they do. And uh, he's a wonderful actor. We love him. Please welcome to the show this morning, Frank Grillo. Yeah. Hey. Oh, <laughs> good buddy, how are you, man? I'm good, man. What did somebody drop out so you needed a room? <laughs> no, we made special room for you this late in the day because we appreciate the time shift. So I know it sucks getting up, but you you get up fairly early, right? Oh no, yeah. I've been in the gym since six o'clock. So there I you go. Here. If only it, if only it showed Frank that you hit the gym a lot. I mean, <laughs> you're, you're in impossibly good shape. We hate your guts, but we also love you. So, uh, hey, the, the show is awesome, by the way. And I know it's it's a passion project uh, of yours. I was a fan of your show, uh, Kingdom, and that you know that that obviously dealt with the fighting world as well. But this is the this is around the world examining fighters. Um, and and the the culture and and the the yeah. um, the legend it's it, it's it's much deeper than than people might suspect. It's really yeah. sort of inspiring. It, it, oh, and I, I appreciate that. I really do. And it and it, it kind of um, you know the genesis is is Anthony Bourdain, uh, rest his soul. I I, uh, I was a, a huge, continue to be a huge, you know, Bourdain fan. And and uh, the more I traveled. And the more I was training in different gyms and kind of created these friendships and these brotherhoods, if you would, um, I, I, I just got inspired to kind of this idea instead of food culture, let's let's explore fight culture around the world. And, you know, it turned into something much more than a passion project for me. It just it, it changed my DNA. It did. You can you can tell that you are, um, you know, that, that you you are in these different areas and you are connecting with these people. It, it's almost there's a common language. Uh, with people who engage in this and and wherever you go you seem to tap into it instantly it's 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 weird and and it is that's the through line of what i found just training and 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 being in fight gyms my basically my most of my life and how how beautiful all these people are and how aside from the actual fighting in the ring everything else is a community that is based in trust and 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 there's no prejudice, you know. I I was in gyms in Israel with Palestinians and Christians and Jews, and nobody cared about all the stuff that the United Nations can't seem to figure out. Mm, yeah, these guys go into they go into gyms, and all the shit that everybody's worried. Oops, it's okay. Sorry, got it. Worried about, uh, you know, they they it goes away. It goes away. Transcends all of it. Well, and fighters aren't brutal. They're not. They're they're poets. They, they really are. Well, there's you know there's competition obviously, and there's there's technique and learning these things and 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 trying to uh, perfect that t- technique. But I think step number one, and what I see from you, Frank, is uh, respect for each other when you're stepping in to yeah. learn or to compete. Either one, you know. Yep, that's exactly it. It's it's respect. It's respect because you each know what it takes mentally, physically, spiritually, philosophically to do that, to get into a ring or a cage or on a mat. And then when you're done, you pick each other up and you walk off together. You know, that's why the thing with Khabib and McGregor was so unfortunate. Yeah, oh, absolutely. 
Yeah, it's atypical. It's atypical of what happens after a fight. Well, somebody says it. One of the fighters that you speak with, he you know, says the object is not to beat someone else, but to beat yourself, to to challenge yourself. Right. And that there, there's right. a shared experience. It is it is eye opening. And the Anthony Bourdain thing is an interesting connection because he himself is a martial artist. And and right. and, and he's really, yep, yep. And I had a fantasy that uh, because he's a jujitsu guy, and I've you know been involved in jujitsu a long time, and and uh, I had the fantasy that maybe I'd get him to come with me. Uh. Like we would go and do something together. And unfortunately, uh, he passed away. But but uh, yeah, but he is the genesis of the whole thing. So the, there's the, the selections are interesting: Mexico City, Thailand, Myanmar, Senegal, Israel. Yeah. For 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 Krav Maga, you're getting a sampling of of all these different things, and each brings sort of a. Um, you know, for for some, uh, for, for example, the uh, uh, Senegalese uh, wrestlers, there's such a yeah. there's such a, a sense of of pride and 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 um, an accomplishment. It's 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 you know, they're, they're, it's it's a fascinating thing. Were were you um, who am, so as you're sampling all these different fighting styles, and you yourself, you're a sponge. You, you clearly see you you know picking up things and so on and so forth. What caught you from out of left field that you were just you were going into? Okay, we're gonna. Check this out, but then when you win the experience, you had no idea it was as impactful as as it was going to be. I, you know, I got to tell you, I think the Krav Maga, uh, because I'm so used to like, uh, you know, in Beverly Hills Krav Maga, it's, you know, housewives go and try to learn to defend themselves, <laughs> right. and it's and it's it's listen, it's cool, it's interesting, and it's, everybody should learn, you know, self defense. But when I went there and I was with these special forces guys, who. Krav Maga is a real thing yeah. that, you know, they, they get, they're in tunnels in the Gaza Strip fighting hand-to-hand. And when I learned how deadly and how fast and how brutal it, it is, uh, it, was, it was frightening. Absolutely. I, I'm never really afraid. I was afraid. Really? It, it was. Yeah, it was, it's scary. It was you know, funny because the first time no. you were in here, you, you, you sort of impressed and, uh, you know, to Krav Maga and you, you sort of... We, well, jokingly, yeah, jokingly, you know, it was Frank, fun. Yeah, because I, I I trained for six years. I earned a black belt in it. But but Frankie go, oh, that's kind of that uh, that's that workout thing. Uh, yeah, that's, uh, right. And I was like, no, not really. He's like, whoa, man, easy. It was it was really funny actually. But um, yeah, I've had my uh, my trainer and, and owner of a gym out here, Ernie, has traveled to Israel many times and trained with the military there. And yes, it is a it's a way of life for those guys. Oh, it's amazing, and they're amazing people. You know, they're surrounded by twenty-five or so hostile nations, yep. and uh, you know, you don't understand until you're there what it is to be Israeli. I mean, yep. it, you know, and I asked—I think it's, it's in the show. I asked the mayor of Jerusalem to define Israeli people in one word, and he said, "Fight." It's wow. it, so, it, it's so know. it's so cool. I, I have to ask you because a lot of times the, the fight cultures are born out of perhaps there's a connection to religion or there's a connection to necessity as with the krav maga and, and, and you know right. do do you did you did you see a clear line of delineation what what makes them different what makes them similar um as far as all of the styles that i that i right 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 i you know they're all similar in the sense that uh, they all are born out of necessity. They're all, they're all, you know, they, these guys all started to fight for a specific reason, mostly to get themselves out of an impoverished situation. Yeah. Um, and, and I think the Israelis are different in the sense that, you know, it's, it's, they're, they're protecting their lives. Yeah. So, but all the other ones, and I was in Brazil too, unfortunately Brazil didn't get on the air yet, but all of the other ones, it's, it's all of these places, the favelas, you know, in Senegal, you saw how, how impoverished it was. In Thailand, obviously, Myanmar, really struggling financially. All these people, all these kids, all these women, they're fighting to get 
make money for their families to get themselves out of that situation. So it it is a clear through line. It means yeah. everything. Yeah, and in fact, uh, I was watching it last night. I watched the first episode, which you're, you're, it's set in uh, in Mexico City. Mexico. And it's yeah. about and it's about boxing and I mean in in that sport it's it's fists only right yeah. um, you know yeah. rather than you know being able to you know take anybody to the ground or use your your feet or whatever uh, I actually I, I really enjoyed the episode but I enjoyed watching you in that episode because you were you were like a little kid uh, in, in, in a, in a <laughs> yeah. candy store I, it, it, you really looked like you were enjoying yourself down there yeah I was you know I didn't I, I didn't realize how how affected I was going to be. And I going to the Mexico, standing in that stadium with Julio Cesar Chavez, one of my, you know, God, boxing heroes. Unbelievable. Yeah, Nacho Barros. It was, it was, I was so humbled. I felt so small. And yet I, 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 I didn't let that get in the way of how excited I was. So, so it was, it was, it was an honor to be around the kid fighting in Thailand or Myanmar or Julio Cesar Chavez. It was all an honor for me because they're all doing basically the same thing. Julio Cesar Chavez at one time was that kid fighting out of the jungle. Like yeah. it was the same thing. Well, you know? It's so it's wild because I follow you on Instagram and I was watching the the path as you were going on it to all these locations as this was being filmed and you could see, you know, you there was a a, a, a metaphysical sort of thing that was taking place with you as you're experiencing all these cultures. So you you got this show, which, again, congratulations. It's awesome. Thank you. You have um, Boss Level with uh, Joe yep. Carnahan. Uh, yeah, Mel Gibson, yeah. When is when is that coming out? That'll probably be a summer movie for the uh, for next summer, probably an August film. It's a, it's, a, it's a really fun action movie with me, Mel, and Naomi Watts. How cool! Um, how cool is that to be with to be with Mel Gibson, to be with Naomi, to be with these people? Does that blow your yeah. freaking mind? Yeah, I mean, you know, listen, it's uh, it, because I produced the movie too, and it's yeah. a big movie. And uh, but the first day I'm on set with Mel, I mean, come on, it's Mel, you know, it's it's, it's the road warrior. Yeah, and, and uh, we since have become friends. And I went out to dinner with him and his wife the other night, and and, and uh, when I leave, I I still say to myself. <laughs> Son of a gun, that's Mel Gibson. Yeah, how could you not? <laughs> it, it, it's it's yeah. it's very cool. And Joe Carnahan is 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 great. He's is, he's got to be one of your one of your best friends at this point. He's my partner. He's my business partner. So yeah. we produce. We have a company called War Party. This is our, the boss level is our fourth film in two years that we'll have produced and and uh, created, and then Fight World obviously is a War Party production as well. So yeah, he's I'm with him all day. Hey, uh, Frank, did you talk to uh, Mel at all about uh, the jujitsu that was uh, used in um, Lethal Weapon? In Lethal yeah. Weapon. That was the first time yeah, you know, that that had ever been used on film before. That's Hegan Machado. He still trains with him. Really? He still trains with him. In fact, we put Hegan uh, in, in Boss Love. He's got a small role. But, uh, yeah, he, Mel still, still rolls around at that's 63 cool. years old. Yeah. And Michelle Yeoh is in, the, is in the Boss Level as well, correct? Who? Michelle Yeoh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Legend. Yeah. Le- How did I forget her? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Legend. Yeah. Legend. Uh, unbelievable. Yeah. It's it's so yeah. cool. Yeah. So I, I it, with all of your travels, not just with the, with Fight World, but uh, you know, you know, for let's just say the last twenty years of your life, uh, you know, and, and in fact, uh, in the episode last night, you needed an interpreter to you know talk back and forth with these boxers and these right. trainers in Mexico, and I would imagine you needed uh, um, uh, these interpreters all over the world, but. The yeah. fight is an international language, is it not? That's right. 
fight and love. Right? Yeah, <laughs> pretty wild. Yeah, that would have been you uncomfortable with those guys. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you meet a woman and not know how to speak the language, but you know what you're saying to each other. It's the same thing. It's fighting. So you have a yeah. whole bunch of stuff coming out. Obviously, you know, Wheelmen, which we uh, you were on before, uh, uh, and and love that. You have a whole bunch of things in the works. You also have Point Blank, a remake you're making of that that French uh, film. We, we, yeah, that was, it was me and uh, Anthony Mackie and Marsha Gay Harden for Netflix. Yeah, we just finished that. How cool! Movie called Donnie Brook. How cool! Out, uh, how cool is it to be back uh, to be uh, back with Anthony Mackie again? Oh, uh, it was fun, and it was, this one's a true two-hander. It's him and I. Uh, it's a real, it's a real great thriller, action thriller, and it's him and I throughout the whole film. So we get to banter a lot, and just uh, we had a lot of fun. It's so cool because when you first came in here, and you were you were sort of like with the, the purge and everything, and, and stuff was just starting to churn, and then it's it's just it's just been on a conveyor belt. But it, it, I mean, it couldn't happen to a nicer guy because your your heart's always been in it. It's just it's fantastic to see this uh, happening. Thank you, brother. And by the way, Donnie Brook is uh, premiering in the Philly Film Festival. Oh It'll be- wow. Yeah, wow, wow. it'll be playing here in town, yeah. which is really cool. Yeah, we were in Toronto. We just won a festival in, in Austin, Texas. It's a really dark, it's a little bit polarizing. It's really dark and unapologetic, and I play pure evil. Okay. <laughs> uh, That's so, okay. You've been doing that. Yeah, that, yeah. That, that, yeah. That, that'll work. Let me suggest something yeah. to you. I'll float this out, and you can take with it what you will. There was a great movie years ago that I think you would be perfect for for a remake. Charles Bronson film called Hard Times. Do you remember this movie? I love. Do I remember? We're, we were trying to get the movie. Joe and I, Joe Carney and I were trying to get really the, trying to get the rights to. It. Not kidding you. Yeah. Yeah. It's a guy. Yeah. Bare <laughs> bare knuckle, bare knuckle uh, street fighting around the you know the the early yep. uh, yeah you know during the depression. Great movie, James yep. Coburn. Yeah. Yep. Well, all the all the all the men, all the men of Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, I apologize because I know you're mid workout right now. Uh, and just a couple of weeks ago, there was this thing that was uh, making its way all over the internet uh, about uh, Mark Wahlberg's um, workout and, and dining schedule. And he was getting up at like two in the morning and doing this crazy workout. I don't know if you saw that or not. And and if I did, you did, I did. What, what what are your thoughts on that? Um, he's a I, pussy. I know Mark. <laughs> uh, I, I, you know, I listen. I it, it, as far as I know, Mark goes to bed at like seven thirty eight o'clock does. at night, yeah. and he does. And he lives this uh, very specific lifestyle. The guy is a uh, talk about a machine. I mean, he is uh, one of the smartest guys in this business. And uh, yeah, he's a, he's a know, great he's guy. Also- we, we've had, we've had he him is. on the show a couple of times, and he, he's he's the real deal. He's you know he's he you, you guys are of a, of a yeah. kind. Yeah, he's he's but he's uh, he's a special dude. I mean, he really. He took he took an opportunity that he got a long time ago, and he ran with it. And uh, he's a powerhouse. Man. Let me ask you this: uh, because when I see something like that, it it makes me sick to my stomach. Uh, you know, to, to to see somebody live a life like that because it is so out of the norm for me. And it seems like he is torturing himself. And and I would imagine that the way you live your life is is very similar, very strict diet, and 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 I'm the opposite of that. And believe me, I'm not looking down my nose at all. It, I'm I actually look at it um, with admiration, with admiration, and and a, and, a, and a touch of jealousy because I don't feel like I have that in me. And I don't know if you feel the the same way. Like some people are just built that way, and some people are not. Yeah, I've always been. I've always been like super super disciplined when it comes to certain things. And then other things, um, you know, listen, don't kid yourself. Mark has had a great life where he didn't go to bed at 8 o'clock in the morning. But now he's <laughs> yeah. a grown man. Yep. He's a grown man with a big business and a bunch of kids. And so he's – but but he's always been disciplined when he when he, uh, when he he wanted to. Uh, you know, I, I remember a long time ago. And that's how I've been. I've been – you know, I, if I need to get up at 4 o'clock in the morning and come and train, it's not a problem. I do it. You know, I don't – I eat the way I eat 
because it's it's just the way I eat. Yep. And uh, you know, I live my I live my life very disciplined. Again, in some aspects, and there are parts where I go. Why can't I get this under control? I'm so disciplined. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, everyone's like that, you, you know, and that we, we yeah. tend to forget that, that everyone has their things. But so what's what's yeah. the word on on on, uh, on, on Fight World? Uh, I assume Netflix is happy with it. Are, are we? Um, is this, I don't know. Is... You know, I, I, I'm, I'm one of those guys who like I'm not, you know, it, it, I kind of leave it up to the to the movie gods. I, yeah. I, I think people have been responding really even more positively than I had imagined, which I'm very grateful for. Yeah. But, uh, you know, if, if I get the call from Netflix that, that we're going to go and do another season, that's great. If not, I think it stands alone as a piece that is really interesting, you know? Something, so, yeah, something to be very proud of. It's it, it really, really wonderful, and, and we're thrilled for you. Yep. I, I, I appreciate it. You guys have always been great. I really appreciate it. Well, we'll always support you, man. You're a good person. It's streaming now on Netflix, and it is called Fight World, and uh, Frank is the man. So, yes. dude, thanks for checking in. Go back with thanks, your sweat guys. and go always. do your thing, and we'll talk to you soon. All right, brother? Thanks, guys. All right, Frank Grillo. Yeah. And like I said, that movie Donnybrook is going to be here in Philadelphia, uh, and it is part of the Philadelphia Film Society Festival. Uh, so you can get be a part of it. And we actually have details on presidency.com where to get your tickets and all that good stuff. Awesome. Uh, he's great. He, he is. is. He's great. just a good dude. He is a good dude. I, when we took our last vacation, I list, I listened to, uh, the last occasion that we had him in the studio and it was such a great interview and I couldn't stop. And I, I, I lived at Dottie, yeah. but I couldn't stop listening to it. It was so, yeah. uh, it was such a, a great conversation. All right. We got to take a break. Be back in just a moment. Stay with us. Here, Preston and Steve, you can see them too. Check out the weekly rush on Xfinity On Demand. New episodes, you guessed it, weekly. Can you believe football is back? This Eagle season, there are huge prizes to be won at Acme. Interact me, swoop in and win sweepstakes, and you could win up to $10,000 cash or 2022 Eagle season tickets. All you have to do is shop the participating items throughout the store and enter your codes from your receipt at acmeswoopinandwin.com. Acme makes sure Eagles fans have all their game day needs to tailgate or host like a pro. Stop in and discover why football is better at Acme, the official supermarket market of the Philadelphia Eagles and MMR's Preston and Steve show. Back with more of the Preston and Steve show podcast. Even if you don't know our next guest, you know our next guest. Uh, he wrote the Oscars for 23 years. He's a guy behind a lot of stuff that you've heard and seen over the years. Legendary stuff. Six-time Emmy Award winner. Uh, his birthday is in three what? days. And he's excited yeah. about that, I'm sure. And his <laughs> show... A Sign of the Times is premiering at the Delaware Theater Company. Please welcome Mr. Bruce Philane. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. To the so show. Nice. The original Pit Ham. The original <laughs> Pit Ham right here in our studio. Yeah. I didn't even mention the Hollywood Squares, of course, where you spent a number of years. I did, six years. Yeah. Uh, to the left of Whoopi, if that's possible. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. These days, it'd be very difficult to get to the left of You know, Bruce, I have to say, a lot of times we meet people and like, I hope they are the way we want them to be. 
And this is a compliment. You are Bruce Valanche, and Michael. it's awesome. Thank you. Yes, very cool. Because so, I'm frequently mistaken for Michael Moore. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Oh, they oh cut, no, Like no, no. he would wear red glasses. Yes, he doesn't have and, any fashion sense. And I've never had a baseball hat on in my life, you know. <laughs> yeah. Even when I played baseball. Michael Moore. Well, there you I go. I know, I get that. I yeah. that. And Amy Schumer. I get her. <laughs> <laughs> hey, just because she's pregnant, I'm convinced. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and you're wearing a classic uh, T-shirt, <laughs> one of your classic T-shirts. Wearing, <laughs> Bruce Valanche, uh, yes. Oh, it's, but it's... It's, uh, it, it tells a story, so you have yeah. to really kind of see. It's different kinds of asses. <laughs> Jack, oh kick, God. dumb. Badass. Bad, and smart. smart. Yes. You know, it's, I like uh, it. Hey, it's, about the red glasses, how many yeah. sets do you have at, uh, at we, home, on the go? Yeah. When I was on Squares, I had different glasses for every show. Yeah. Okay. So I had hundreds of pairs of glasses. And, uh, Maybe you assume and, you had a sponsor of sorts? Or no, something. that was the problem. You were picking was up just, the cost? I was doing it. And when the prescription changed, yeah. I realized I had to take a second mortgage. To, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I settled on red because Sally Jesse Raphael, who was the red glasses queen, right. had retired. And so I thought, okay, I've got this market open. And okay. So now it's just, so I have a few, you know, just a few okay. backups. But gotcha. uh, and I I keep looking for exotic red glass frames. Well, we're, we're we're thrilled you're here because it's a sign of the times. Uh, is your musical? It is, and uh, I think the idea of being able to see a, a musical, you know, on its way to Broadway is an awesome thing. It's almost like seeing a director's cut of something, that's you know. True. And, yeah. and you're you're getting you're getting all of that stuff that goes into making theater wonderful. Mm-hmm. And uh, so let us uh, let us in on what the uh, the whole uh, concept well, behind the sign of the times is. It's uh, it's actually it's it's a musical about a girl in Columbus, Ohio, in 1965, who right. goes to New York and walks into the world of Mad Men, and she, of course, is uh, objectified and you know taken advantage of, and has all these adventures. And by the end of the show, she's become one of the early feminists. So it, basically, it's about a woman finding herself. And when we started doing it, we had no idea that Me Too was actually going to happen. Right. And when Me Too happened, we suddenly realized, oh my God, we're relevant. <laughs> Holy, it's allowed for a musical. Can you be relevant? Yeah. However. The music is all from uh, Petula Clark from ni- oh, the mid '60s, and awesome. it's all the Petula's catalog. She didn't write it, but it's uh, it's all of her stuff, and so it's all familiar music. So uh, I ask people to think, Mamma Mia. Please think Mamma Mia. <laughs> Don't think Mamma Mia 2 necessarily. Right, right. Mamma Mia 1. You I got gotcha. you. Because it's it's all songs that you know in a story that's brand new. Well, you when you started you your your desire, I reading about you and about your, your early days, you wanted to basically be Neil Simon. You wanted to, you yeah, know, yeah, I did. I, well, I wanted to be uh, Zero Mostel. I wanted to be, you know, one of those Jackie right. Gleason with the, the fat comic. <laughs> Because I was a fat kid, and I thought this is funny. I could be this like the sidekick of the of the the girl or whatever, and and that was that. And I was a child actor. For, Were you I in was, fact a model for? Lane I was Bryant? A, mo- a model for Lane Bryant. I was a charming chub. A charming. They chub. had a, a chub. Well, Lane Bryant, you know, specializes in in the large women, right? And uh, there apparently were not enough of them, <laughs> so they went into a large child line. Okay. And I was uh, one of the poster child, the large child. The, the, you could not get oh away God. with that classification. These no, days. It was, no. Ed's charming chub. Out. That was yeah, the other one. Stylish stuff. Yeah, you graduated. Then I became a husky. Yes. You know, which is neither man nor boy. <laughs> it's just you're in that nether world right. where nothing fits you. True, yeah. So uh, I was a child model and I was a child actor, but I was never a child star, or we'd be having this conversation in rehab. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I kind of moved into writing and I began that as a career, and I've never stopped performing. In fact, I'm performing I, while I'm here plugging Saturday night. 
in Peddler's Village. Oh, it's at awesome. the, the Cock and Bull. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Both of which shows. I have some acquaintance too. <laughs> uh, I will be at the Cock and Bull on Saturday night, eight thirty, yeah. in Peddler's Village, telling stories and, and doing uh, my one-man extravaganza, which is about all the stuff I've done in show business. No which, which is voluminous. And so you, you, it is voluminous. You, so with, I mean, with, it's a ridiculous career. But it's but it's it's funny because <laughs> by by in a circuitous way you got to where you wanted to be. I know. Yeah, I, I figured that. Well, you know that. That was how Woody Allen and Mel Brooks did it. Yeah, and so I thought, okay, I mean, I could see we could, you could just be a, you know, kind of a, a an annoying Jewish person like me and become a big actor. <laughs> well, that hasn't happened. I mean, I did hairspray for two years. I became a big actress, right? So. Which is a great, a great. So you know, any a musical, and, and as of late on TV, they've been presenting them. I think for a lot they do of, them live. Yeah, they do them live, and I think a lot of people have been turned on to. I love going to see musicals. I love going to see the one. My one issue with many of the, and we talked about this, Preston, is that the theaters that you go to see them in were constructed many of them like in the turn of last yeah, century, sure. and the seats were made for people of that time. That is true. And my knees are on someone else's head as you as you're watching. Right. It's yeah. uncomfortable, but. Um, you know, when you when you go and see it, and you see an actual, they just Preston, you mm-hmm. just you over in we were over in London and yeah. saw a live theater. Yeah, I went to there's see nothing the, like it. Yeah, the play that goes wrong and That's hysterical. it was I so much fun. It I, really is. I love going very, to live shows. Funny. I don't do it nearly enough. Uh, but uh, it's it's such a great experience, and it's got to yeah. be for the people on stage. It has to be. Oh, yeah. You know, you hear about people saying that theater is. Where they would even, you know, this is the real feeling. Right, right, right. I get that. I totally get that. When sure, it's it's live connecting. and it's connecting with an actual real person up there, and it's on an intimate scale. So, I mean, even when it's big, it's still on a, on a more intimate scale than uh, than film or, or you know, or going to a hockey arena to, sure. to, to, for a concert. And there, there's a different vibe. So you got started, you were working, I guess, were you writing for the Chicago Tribune? I was uh, writing for the Chicago Tribune. I met Bette Midler, who was starting out. She was on Broadway in Fiddler on the Roof. Playing one of the daughters. Are you kidding? No, yeah, she was at Cycle. This is this before the. Uh, so she was still she was doing the the the, she, uh, the other stuff on the side, right? Right. Well, she uh, she would go to a little club, mm-hmm. uh, and and do stuff afterwards, and then she came to Chicago to do that act, and that was when I met her. Somebody told me I should go see her, and I wrote about her, and I uh, wrote a column, and she liked the column. She said, "You're funny." I said, "Well, you should talk more on stage." And she said, "You got any lines?" And that was the beginning. And that that you were off and running from the Paleozoic period. We no started kidding. writing, and then she went. And uh, uh, she couldn't get a gig, so she answered uh, an ad in one of the show business uh, magazines in New York for uh, to sing at a, at a gay bathhouse. Yes, a Turkish bath, and uh, and that was that kind of the legend was born. Well, she became kind of uh, a destination resort. Yeah, and when uh, Barry Manilow came into the picture, that was when Barry Barry yeah. was her piano. But Barry yeah. uh, came into the picture on the very first night at the Tubs, which was what we call the Baths at the Tubs, uh, when her uh, piano player came down with mono. Remember mono? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> such, a, such a pleasant right. disease. You got it. You got it. Yeah, got yeah. cured. It wasn't. Right. But you know, he got mono. So um, <laughs> n- now you know everything's deadly. Right. right. Was, okay. Mono. Don't kiss me. You won't get mono. Okay. <laughs> So he got mono, and uh, he uh, called Barry, who was a friend of his. And Barry came and subbed, and he had no idea. You know, he was just sitting playing at the piano and looking at her. And and there's a little video, and he's like, his mouth is just agape. But what's, yeah. you know, what's going on? Well, and he signed on. He said afterwards, he said, "I'm going to be a music director. That's it. You're too good. I'm, I can't let go of you." People don't remember that that her show and that the presentation at that time was was just she was telling stories and she had the sass and the whole thing. And then yeah. it, so you you also worked on uh, on Divine. I Madness. did all of the stuff. Yeah, I middlerized everything. Middlerized everything. Yeah. And I, so you're off, off and running. 
writing, writing. You've written for so many other comedians, and mm-hmm. and you've um, you became. Heck, there was a documentary called Get Bruce. Well, that's right? true. Yeah, I know, produced by Harvey Weinstein. What? Who <laughs> never laid a hand on? <laughs> 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 <Really? laughs> Screw me too. Why not me? Oh, that's my why hashtag. Not me? Oh my! Really? I didn't even put that together, but yeah, I guess that's the case. Come on with the open bathrobe. I'm here. <laughs> I wanted to ask about about writing for the Oscars telecast. Are you the one that's responsible for these celebrities? They come up and and you know have to read a few lines. I, I do a lot of that. Yeah. Now with that, um, have you seen? Great lines have you written just destroyed by somebody who couldn't deliver it oh, properly. Yeah. Had to have, right? Yeah, it happens. It just happens. It's, well, you know, most of these uh, movie stars are not used to being uh, working live. Right. I mean, the, 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 the whole Warren baby Faye Dunaway thing. I mean, Warren has rarely done anything where he didn't do a second take. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So he was stuck up there with that. But it's that, the problem is they don't, they don't really know who they are when they're on stage. Mm-hmm. They haven't got, there's no Keanu Reeves persona. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> right, I right. mean, there's no Johnny Depp persona. <laughs> right. I mean, Johnny Depp hasn't played the palace as Johnny Depp. You know, it's like Billy Crystal knows who he is when he's on stage. And right. Whoopi knows who she is. And I used to say Shirley MacLaine knows who she is. And she knows who she was. So right. <laughs> Much, much easier. But um, so that's generally that's when those things happen. You try not to give them stuff that they can go down in flames with. But, you know, sometimes they just they want to do that. They want to show you it. My my worst was when it was Keanu, actually, because we tried to do a Bill and Ted thing. Okay. I mean, and these. Like, Do you yeah. remember the joke that he botched? I, I don't. I, okay. You know, it's blocked from, you know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, analysts have built swimming pools on the money I've spent blocking this joke. <laughs> right. <laughs> so. I can imagine, though, because you're, you're, that is, that, and, and as things have gotten over the years and the ratings have, have steadily declined for, for the Academy Awards, just because there's just a lot more on to watch yeah. and people forget about it and they, they shift it around. But the focus of the planet was on, especially when you did, for, for example, the, uh, the 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 year that City Slickers won and Palance did the one on push up. You were ripping with with uh, Billy Crystal and creating yeah. all those lines that were coming up, and it was it was one of the high watermarks in in uh, yeah. in Oscars that's, telecast history. That's, well, that's we won an Emmy for that. Yeah, one. And then I, just that amazing. Was- that was why it's very meta to win an Emmy for an Oscar. <laughs> I've done it twice, and it gets more meta as you go along. It is weird when you'll see the, the director that. of the Oscars win an Emmy. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I know, exactly, yeah. right, right. <laughs> it's, it's just a weird thing. Right. And then propose to his girlfriend. Right, right, right yeah. Exactly. Oh, that's right. Uh, but to, so so over the years, writing, writing on that and the, the different encounters and the backstage stuff, how kinetic is it? How much is done on the fly? I assume that was a rarity where you, you know, had that opportunity. We we plan well after that ever since then we planned on things i mean you discover that the host is on pretty much uh, uh once in every act of the show for right the, uh, and there are about 18 acts of the thing so maybe he'll you'll skip an act uh, but so you have to you see where where the host is in the show what's what they're following right right and so you have an idea if you put the host after a documentary and let's say Michael Moore is nominated. The odds are something will happen during that award presentation right. that the host can comment on, which is exactly what happened with Steve Martin that year when, when Michael won and, and uh, they began booing him because he did a, a, some Iraq joke or yeah. a, a reference to the war. And the stagehands began booing him. And uh, Steve came on. We were sitting in the wings. Sure. And we said, well, we have to do something with this. And so we all began throwing jokes. And it was a great group that year. Rita Rudner was one of the writers. Wow. And Dave Barry was one of the writers. And we were just shouting jokes at Steve. And so 
Michael Moore left the stage and there was a commercial and Steve came out after the commercial and said, so sweet backstage that the stagehands are helping Michael Moore into the trunk of his car. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's got to be a, there's got to be, that's, that's, uh, that's my, my absolute yeah. favorite that was, that was not on the Oscar, it was on the Tony Award. Okay. Okay. And it was, uh. Because uh, CBS <laughs> carries the Tonys, they they want C- uh, CBS TV stars to be on. Right. So of course they uh, they said we had to have LL Cool J, <coughs> who you when you think Broadway, you think <laughs> LL Cool J because he's on NCIS Los Angeles. Exactly yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Big CBS star. Right. Yeah. And uh, he's hosted the Grammys. He's hosted Grammys sure. for years. So anyway, so we had LL Cool J, <laughs> and so we put him with Carol Channing. Because we thought who two. What two people would you want to see more yeah. than LL Cool J and Carol Channing? Brilliant. And uh, so uh, I thought, well, this will be funny. I'll give Carol a rap to yeah. do with LL Cool J. So we wrote her a rap, and I told him LL, and he thought it was a very funny idea. And she thought, oh, I think that's hysterical. And, <laughs> and then we got there, and of course she said, well, you know, I haven't learned yet. <laughs> oh, no. But it's, it's in the prompter, isn't it? Oh, and I no. said, yes. Yeah. Well, I, I, I can't read the prompter without my glasses. I won't wear my glasses. And uh, and, so, and she put on these glasses, and she had these gangster glasses. Right, yeah. Huge square frames with, like, a tint in them. Yeah. And, uh, and she was wearing what could go pass for bling. <laughs> and Ella said, well, just go out. You look great. Just go out. You know, right. you look like you're in my posse. And so the, the two of them went out there, and they did it together, and it was very funny. I mean, she really did it great. It was a huge thing. Hugh Jackman was the host that year. Yeah. And after, the, again, there was a commercial after the award, and then Hugh came out and he said, this just in, Carol Channing has been arrested in a drive-by shooting. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta love that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's, it's so cool. And you great. were actually, do you like, because I know music is, is you, you've you you've written lyrics, and do you, in fact, write music as well? I write, I write lyrics. Okay. I don't write music. I've so, in, in fact, when, when uh, Bette Midler, the, the second to the last uh, Carson Tonight Show, yeah. uh, you wrote that uh, well, song. Well, I wrote it with Mark Shaman, right? who's, you know, a, a composer, lyricist, who wrote Hairspray. And uh, we've been all, we've been a team for years with that. You Made Me Watch You was the name of the song? Or is it what? Uh, we, you Made Me Watch You. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You Made Me Love You, turn it into You Made Me Watch You. That's, that's right. To be, to be a part of, and you've been a, a, a part of a number of pivotal, that's always mm-hmm. references one of the, 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 the great TV landmark moments. Landmark TV it moments. Is. Yeah, it is. She won an Emmy for that, yeah. actually. She won. And, the, and what, what uh, a lot of people don't remember is that was the last, like the next to the last Carson show on Friday. And on Monday, Jay Leno took over the show and Billy Crystal was the guest. And Mark yes. and Billy wrote a parody of that. Yeah. Right, Of right. the parody of the parody. I remember. You made me watch me, watch yes, you. I didn't right. want to do it. I, my I, agent right. or my agent really blew That's it. Right. It was hilarious. <laughs> I remember that vividly. And you wrote that. Yeah. That's great. Co-wrote it. Co-wrote it. Does it amaze you when you think about the way things have changed with the, the when something would happen like that, like the like that moment or the Palance moment at the Oscars or things that you were directly involved with, the vast numbers of people watching at once. We'll, we'll never have a time like that. Well, that's, yeah. that's part of the thrill of writing the Oscars. It's like playing in the Super Bowl. I mean, yeah. if you're going to play football, you want to be in the Super Bowl. And the Oscars is the Super Bowl of that kind of stuff. And it's live. And the bizarre thing about that show is people who don't go to the movies watch it. Yeah. And, yeah. People who don't watch television watch it. I mean, you have an audience, a large por- percentage of whom have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> they, you know, when you say when you're referencing the movies of the year, you right. say Mahershala Ali. They have no idea who you're talking <laughs> right, about. Right. Right. And 
so that's the challenge is to is to keep them entertained mm -hmm. along with the people in the theater who were of course so nervous you know i mean as as i've said before the uh what people forget is that there are, are uh, five five uh, nominees in each category and one person wins and and four of them don't yeah so and as the evening progresses the room fills up with losers <laughs> it's true and they're bitter <laughs> they're bitter yeah. and they're not paying attention yeah and, you know so you'll do a great joke and they're sitting there and they're wondering i gotta fire that <laughs> this i would have won if this guy come through for me mother I'm gonna now they can do it they can sit there and they can text people on their they phone can fire yeah. them as they're sitting there yeah. on yes. national television uh, Away. So it's uh, it's become. It's an interesting dynamic, yeah. yeah. So what that means is that, that you're not going to get the full attention of the crowd. Sure, sure. Uh, if you're just jumping in, it's Bruce Valanche is our guest in the studio. Nick, you had a question. Yeah, Bruce, are you uh, not on social media? And if so, why not? I'm, I, I am. I'm on Facebook. Okay, yeah. I, don't, I twat not. Yeah. <laughs> you don't twat? I, I don't twat. Yeah. I don't twat. I don't, uh, I don't Instagram. <laughs> I don't take pictures. I don't do... No. It's, I'm, not, I'm not that big a narcissist. It was a thrill to me to discover that after all these years. <laughs> but if I really was a narcissist, I probably wouldn't look like this. <laughs> it's just interesting. It's an yeah, interesting a comedian, point. Though, yeah. A comedian who... Uh, um, uh, is avoiding social media on a lot of levels, and it's a yeah. I, I, I admire it a little I bit. I find it just it, it, people getting getting the trouble on it, and yeah, I don't want to pick fights with strangers. I have family for that. Yeah, <laughs> and this is you know coming up Thanksgiving, the the family fight oh, yeah. holiday of the year. You know yeah. where everybody gets to 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 you know be mad at everybody else and blame it on the tryptophan. Yeah, no, it gets it gets amped up exponentially, but but. Uh, uh, let me ask you, with the cast that's involved in this production that people that people will see, is this the cast that will pour it over to Broadway? Well, hope, yeah. hopefully, if we go to Broadway after right. I mean, this is a, like a pilot production we're going to see. How, it might get a little bit bigger for Broadway. But, how hard yeah. is that process at any given time? I know we, we talk about like uh, TV pilots and so on and so forth. Mm. Uh, now you you have a pedigree attached to your name, and that's yeah. you know that's something. <laughs> do, do do you will will that. Uh, you know, is it likely you'll end up on Broadway? Uh, it depends on the producer. Okay. It's an independent producer from Chicago. And with this production is the Del Delaware Theater Company production. Right. So we will see what happens with it. We did a, a lab production up in Connecticut at Goodspeed, which is a, a theater lab that does uh, a lot of new musicals. And we'll see uh, We'll see what happens. You know, I mean, when, when Delaware, we did a workshop in New York and uh, Delaware expressed an interest in doing the show. And I was I thought, well, fabulous. Yeah. And Cheryl Crow had done a musical there. She did a musical of Diner, the, the old Barry Levinson Love movie. Love that movie. Levinson. Yeah. And I called Cheryl, and she said, oh, do it. They're great. It's a fabulous theater. The audiences are wonderful in Wilmington. And uh, it, you'll learn a lot about your show doing it. That's very cool. Now, Diner hasn't gone on yet. It will. Yeah. It will. And uh, hopefully so will we. But Our th it's, a, it's great that there's an audience... In Wilmington and in, you know, as I drove up here from Wilmington, so I got to see everything from, uh, you know, chicken farms to convents to, uh, <laughs> right. yes. I mean, we took a very exotic route sure. through the back hills. There was a banjo player in a tree looking at me <laughs> lovingly. <laughs> and uh, so the audience from this net part of the woods is obviously really special and, and they yeah. they show up. They come to the theater. That's awesome. So, I'm yeah. looking forward so to this, it. So uh, this show takes place in around 1965. Yeah. Uh, I was just, I took an Uber the other night and the guy that was driving we started talking and uh, we were just talking, he was talking about his past and he was uh, he was drafted in the Vietnam War and I know that this is part of this, or at least it was in that era. Yeah. Uh, so you were around, you're, you're turning, yeah. no big secret, you're turning 70 in, in mm -hmm. a few days. Yeah. <laughs> uh, were you ever uh, you know, uh, thinking, huh, I could be 
be sent off if uh, if they call my Always. number. Always. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I was drafted. I had, Were you I, really? Yeah, my had, there was a lottery, and my number was 151, and they got to it, and we had to go down and take the physical and uh, and, and do all of that. And then, you know, we just we weren't called up. I mean, but I did, I, I did what was called checking the box. With, there was a box of questions, and it said, "Are you uh, uh, are you a practicing homosexual?" Yeah, and I I wrote it. And I think no, I've got it down. But the shrink the shrink said, "Well, this is funny. Is it a joke?" And I said, "No, no, it's real." And yeah. then then you know they have to ask you all these really ridiculous questions, right? To, uh, of that time, of that yeah, well, yeah. You, that you had to prove that you knew about. What, what gay sex was like. Oh, mm-hmm. in case you were trying to phone it in. Exactly for, yeah. right. And this was where they would, like, eliminate the straight guys who were pretending. Oh, I, I would love to hear that, Tess. Uh, yeah, yeah. We can't do it on this no, show. No, but, but, <laughs> I'm going to look that but up. Just, I, it wow. may be my next musical. That's got to be. <laughs> yeah, I think that would be amazing. So. <laughs> you know, it, it's like, it's when you you talk of a time when they, I think there's a documentary, I think it's called Atomic Cafe, and it yeah. it's, it's, it's of that time when when... Students were instructed to get under their desk during a nuclear war because that would protect yeah, them. Duck and cover. Yeah, duck yeah. and cover. Exactly. So these these, these things. So, but that's that's fascinating. Do you cover some of this archaic material a little bit in the? Uh, in not the show? well. But Vietnam certainly factors into it. One of our characters winds up going to Vietnam, but uh, uh, it is absolutely a part of it. Okay. And and she, uh, uh, our lead character, comes to New York and and. All of, becomes a part of all of this. Becomes a part of the protest movement, and there's a general fascination with that time. And like Mad mm-hmm. Men captured it. It's just yeah. because there's so many things happening at once. There was this massive confluence of things taking mm-hmm. place, and yet pop culture was exploding as well. And yeah, there was right. just it was, it was it's a right. cool time. It is. It is. Great. Yeah. And, and the music, this particular music, Petula stuff, and the stuff that we've gone chosen. Everything had to be from 65 and 66. Right. It's, her music in particular was really theatrical. I mean, because it, that was after the British invasion, the Beatles and the Stones and all that, and before Psychedelia came in. Yeah. There was a period where every pop thing was done in a studio with a full orchestra. Right. And you hear all these huge arrangements that are the same kind of arrangements you would hear on Broadway. It was that Phil, there was a Phil Spector. Exactly right. Yeah, the wall of yeah. sound. That yeah. was the L.A. thing. And then in, in New York and in London, it was you know, 30 people, lots of horns. Yeah. You know, it was pre-synthesizer and all that. So everything was real. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that's what the music was like in the show. That's cool. That's yeah. cool. So that's the the twenty eighth at the Delaware Theater Company. And your show in Peddler's Village at the Cock and Bull. When is that? That is Saturday night. This, this Saturday. Saturday. Night. And is it's this uh, just uh, conversations of this, Bruce Falange? Like this, but more. I can I can do the entire uh, <laughs> a draft <laughs> <Right> story. <now. laughs> okay. That alone. That alone, that alone is worth, be the, worth price the price of admission. Yeah, but exactly. a lot of a lot of show business stuff and just yeah. fun. That's cool, man. Uh, and and does that show? Do you take that to different cities? Yeah, or? I do it okay. all over the place. I do, uh, uh, when I feel like it, you yeah. Know, I, and I do a lot of corporate gigs, which I love. Really? But, oh yeah, because they well, pay they, well. They pay very yes. well. You don't have to do any press. Which yes, not, I'm enjoying this. No, no, but right. I mean, you don't have to sell yourself. <laughs> yeah. you don't have to, even you don't have to sell any tickets. They're there. Yeah. they have to be there. And I, I tend to be like the diversity entertainer. You know, like for for, for the, the the right. And they're always very to hip. show their forward. Thinking. It's 
it's funny because yeah. I mean I, I I hear all about Silicon Valley and how tech is is just so you know uh, is so uh, insensitive and all that. But I mean, they're the, the tech companies are the first ones that reached out to me to come and perform because they wanted unusual people who. who Where have you played? They had me. I've done. Have all you done Google things. and Apple? Yeah, and, yeah, Google, Apple, and H. Cuba Packard a lot. And what's what's the Google? Fa- were you on the actual Google facility? I was here on campus. Yes, yeah, sort of um, Nirvana for uh, an office situation. It is, except yeah. there's a lot of glass, and I was walking around saying, "Man, if there's an explosion, we are Julian." <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's just big glass. Slice yeah. and dice. The pit ham will be sliced and diced. In fact, they were talking about it. There was a story about the people at the facility were walking into the walls constantly because they couldn't. Isn't that- they couldn't discern where the windows were. You know, I was. Yeah. This is apropos of nothing, but I was in Hong Kong. Yeah, and there is a street. Where every building, it's new, all glass towers, and it is uh, all built with feng shui. So they right. all face a certain way for the spirits and all that kind of stuff. What it also means is there's a certain time of day when the sun hits the glass <laughs> on every building and it blinds everybody. <laughs> and so they put up barricades. You cannot drive down that street really? because they were crashing into each other. Oh, my God. Because the sun, it, it created a critical <laughs> mass of light. I, that is a great, I love that I they did that. And I said, so yeah. where were the Feng Shui masters <laughs> yeah. that day? Right. When this plan was unleashed. Excuse me so much. That's hilarious. Oh my god, that <laughs> is wild. It's really great to meet you, Bruce. Thanks Thank for you. Coming me by too. This we appreciate it. I'm glad I did it. Excellent, Bruce Blanche, everyone. Yeah. Yay. On the President yeah, Steve Show. We'll take a break and we'll be right back. Stay with us. Hey Philly, come socialize with us. Follow nine three three WMMR on Twitter and Instagram, or be our friend on Facebook. See photos, videos, and random behind the scenes stuff. Some stuff you don't want to see. Plus, it's completely safe for work. If you work here, that is. Apparently, there's a new trend. I saw this online, a story that popped up, and I was curious as to those who have participated in this. It's called drunk shopping. Drunk shopping. Yes, apparently that's a thing. And we're not talking about going to the convenience store for jerky. We're talking about, like, going around retail Going around like uh, the mall, right? Yeah, well, there's a new study by Finder.com that shows nearly half of American adults have admitted to making purchases while under the influence. I don't know how much of this is online purchasing because that, well, that probably- is a whole other level. Well, you know what? Actually, that makes more sense. You yeah. don't want to be driving around while you're lit up. But you can be at a, you know, say if you're a King of Prussia Mall yeah. and you go by the, uh, the 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 brewery, the microbrewery or a restaurant and have a couple cocktails and you're in the mall. Yeah. Let's We've go buy that. something. I did, buy something. Yeah. I did it two Christmases ago. Okay. I went uh, drunk shopping and uh, <laughs> I was at the store. I was at Target and I was, it, you know, I had, had gotten everything I needed, but there was apparently that day I needed to get more and I ended up buying a Ninja Turtle bike. <laughs> Uh, that was like way too big for Jace. It, he, it sat in the garage for like two years, and like he just fits it now. Wow. Okay. Well, you were just planning ahead. But I was like, oh my god, he loves it at the time. He's gonna love this in two He's years. He's gonna love this. I have to get it. What if they don't have it next year? Marissa, so, yeah, Kathy, I picked it up. Tar- it must be Target because they just opened one at 19th and Chestnut, which is great. Except when you go to happy hour with your friends and you have to walk past Target on the way home, and it's like, oh, let me just like go in and buy some grapes and some yogurt, and then you like. End up in the home goods section. It's like, yes, I'm you're redoing your bathroom. Yeah, gold plated <laughs> stapler. Yes, and then there's like boutiques next door, and you just keep walking and walking, and you end up with like eight bags of clothes. I wonder if they do anything to sort of a border collie you in there, knowing that people are going to quite yeah. possibly walk past a little drunk. I don't know, and play off that. Yeah. I would. 
Uh, but apparently Americans have spent an estimated $30.43 billion on these spontaneous <laughs> drunk purchases. I, well, you almost made one, Preston. Well, that was a, a bid. eBay, yeah. yeah. That was a bid. What that was that bid was again? drunk bidding. It was a book. From Not a... almost. No, I did bid. You did. Bid. I just didn't win it. Oh. Thank God. I bid a thousand dollars on a on book. It. Mm-hmm. On a book. Paperback book? book. No, not a paperback oh, okay. book. It was, <laughs> yeah, but it was, just, it was Mad Libs. <laughs> no, it was, a, it was, it was a, a used Mad Libs book. It was a book used. from when I was a kid by a uh, uh, an author called Pierre Probst, and and it was very dear to me. And uh, the book, the version that I had of it, is pretty beat up. I ended up getting it rebound and and read, which cost me several hundred dollars to be honest. But <laughs> but not a thousand. I tried to buy a br- you know. One that was in good condition on eBay for a thousand dollars. I was, dude. I was lit up that night. I remember. I, mean, I was. I wasn't just buzzed. I was pretty hammered. I think we were talking to you while you were in the process. I think we had a, a conference call. In fact, I'm, I'm almost. I'm willing to really? bet. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and was, I'm trying to get this book on eBay. Yeah, it was the Golden Treasury of Caroline and her friends. Oh, yeah. I'm sure we've all. Well, most of us have been drunk on the conference call before. Sure. Sometime or another. Yeah. The, the difference is, though, you're right, though. With one-click shopping on e- on uh, Amazon, Amazon, and now Walmart has really uh, reinforced their online shopping program. I was drunk on Sunday when we did it. <laughs> <laughs> Were you? Sure, yeah. Did you buy anything online afterwards? No, no, I didn't. I didn't shop. How do you like this bra? Yep. I can easily see I... the the online shopping though. That that's easy. But actually, getting yourself to the store and and being in the store that's probably well, it's a, a, it's a double-edged story. sword though because you got to. In the, in the proper scenario, you show up sober because you, or with you, if you're with other people, perhaps, and they're driving you, that's fine. I think, I almost think it's more enticing if you're walking and you see it and you physically, I gotta have this. Gotta well, have listen, it. this has been uh, apparently within the past year or so, it's really increased. So it says Americans have spent an estimated $30.43 billion on these spontaneous drunk purchases or about $447 per person. You compare this to last year. And people had only spent average two hundred and six dollars on drunk purchases, so it's more than doubled. Well, let me as far out. as people, yeah, getting buzzed and then, uh, and buying stuff. As a business model, then why why don't we have like um, you know, first off, what tends to sell more during drunk purchases? Do they mm, say no? Okay, but what, if you could find out what that was, and then have a store with a liquor license, yeah, and a like a bar in the middle, you could awesome. clean up. Uh, let me go to a couple of calls here. I'm going to go to uh, Julie. Hi, Julie. Good morning. Morning, guys. How's it going? Good. Very good. So uh, have you bought something while drunk? Yes, I was on eBay uh, while I went to happy hour afterwards, and I woke up to a winning bid of a piece of the parachute from Apollo 13. <laughs> <laughs> a piece of the parachute from <laughs> Apollo 13. Were you prior to that a ravenous NASA fan? I am, yeah. I, I okay. Program, but uh, so when I purchased it, I put my max bid of like two hundred dollars, thinking it, oh someone's going to outbid me for it, and I won. And it came in the mail, and it's probably the size of my thumbnail. Oh my god! Of course. And and did, did, were they were they able to authenticate it, or are you sus- okay? Yeah, they did. There is, there is there is something, but I still don't really believe that you know. <laughs> that I know. Did you, now was it framed or anything like that? Or uh, yeah, it's. it's Yes, yeah, so it's in like a, an encased thing. So it is pretty right. cool, but the entire thing is probably the size of an index card. <laughs> Chris, it's, it's just like a little a little piece of fabric at the bottom of a box. Right. There you yeah. go. Oh, man. Yeah. 200 bucks. All right, thanks, Julie. appreciate thanks, it. Guys, yep, all right, let me go next to uh, Sean. Hey, Sean, good morning. Hey, Jersey Black Rocks. Jersey <laughs> Black Rocks, one of my favorites. Uh, Jersey yeah, Black Rocks. Yeah. 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 Uh-huh. What's up, Sean? <laughs> 
I'll tell my wife, like, yeah, I got to go to the army. And then I'll stop off and I'll have a couple pops, a couple shots of whiskey. Yeah. And I go in there knowing what I'm going to do. So I'm like, all right, let me just get the small basket so I don't overload this. And before you know it, I'm just getting Jack's cheese curls, lunch meat, <laughs> French bread pizzas, just like all this stuff. Like, so- I to smoke like a pound of hash or something. Yeah. <laughs> with all this crap. And I didn't get any of the staples, nothing I needed. Oh, yeah. And then when I was younger, I was a sucker for coming home from the bars and watching those, like, three in the morning infomercials. And, and I'd be like, oh, my God, yeah, of course. I could use a waffle maker. Yeah, I bought ab lounges, like, those electronic <laughs> Sean, let me ask you, did you ever buy a Showtime rotisserie grill? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there you go. I would buy this all that. And I, I did it two days later. I'm like, oh, my God. I, I just, it would just sit in my – and I'd have the yard – I'd have the yard sale on the spring to sell all the junk. Would you it's buy awful. it – would you buy it one one flat-out payment or would you do the flex pay? Oh, no. A flat-out payment. <laughs> I'm drunk and I got all the money in the world. Why not? <laughs> just keep going. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're, you're the kind of customer they look for. You notice they never put drunk people on, though, when they're talking. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, there's people in Bangladesh that I'm talking to are probably just tapping their ass off. Like, look, we got another one on the hook. This is his fourth rotisserie grill this month. I love it. Yeah, Yeah, Sean. Appreciate it, man. (laughs) Case, you were asking if this included, I think you were the one who asked if this included food shopping. Yeah. Uh, So, I guess Sean would be a perfect example of that. Listen, you don't, don't go to the grocery store. I learned it early on. Don't. Go to the grocery store hungry. So that's the closest for me of, of being drunk. So if I go yeah. to the, if I go, and the the worst mm-hmm. is to go to BJ's or Costco when you're hungry. Yes. Because you'll buy a 50-gallon drum yeah. of, uh, of pretzels. Well, and don't just, get high and go food shopping. Well, that's, I mean, that was our standard, yeah. you know, in college. Like, let's go, all right, let's go to Redner's. <laughs> you come home with a bag of... I mean, a bag, not like a Snickers bar, but a bag of Snickers bars. <laughs> that guy said French bread pizza. That was a staple. Uh, pickles. Yes. The giant plastic tub of 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 the the uh, uh, the cheese balls. Oh yeah, you know, the really yeah. big oh, one. Oh yes, yeah, that's you had to have that. So BJ's has the bakery area right by checkout. So those. They're, yeah, yeah. they're, 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 you know what I'm talking about, <laughs> yes, those, they're chocolate chip cookies. I'm like, you wet, the ones that are half dipped in chocolate. Ooh. Are you guys impulse buy people? Do you buy stuff in the, the aisle? I buy I will. stuff in the I aisle. I will all, all the time. time. Yeah. And not necessarily candy. The checkout aisle? Yeah. Like chachki, oh, stuff yeah. I don't yes. need. Yes. Oh. Yeah. Not all the time. Preston, but I, I have like five or six little mini flashlights. Yeah. Stuff yeah. like that. I need this. Oh, I'm a sucker. Yeah. I'm a sucker for the impulse buy. Yeah, I, I am as well. The worst for me is home goods because they have it set up where uh-huh. you actually weave through like basically another aisle. Uh-huh. And I mean, all of the women there. Yes. You, and we're like, you're stopping and you're looking. I I will absolutely. Kitchen gadgets, pick up, like pick up really something. great things. And then Bed Bath & Beyond also. They have Bed a Bath & Beyond. Right at the front. And that's where you Food. get the mini flashlight. Or- Two other places. Is Dick Sporting Good? Or, yeah, the, the one at uh, at Collegeville has that now, where you weave through uh, an aisle, an aisle. <laughs> and uh, what was the other place? Uh, um, Home Goods has that, yeah, and uh, oh, Staples, Risky Video, Risky Video, Staples has that as well. I have a, a mini screwdriver. <laughs> <laughs> got you, that, got that you gotta have yeah. the mini screwdriver. Staples does the same thing as well. Mm-hmm. And before there was there was online shopping, you also had. I remember a comedian uh, uh, one time doing a bit on uh, infomercials. Like he, his wife, uh, in the next morning was like, "Your blue blocker sunglasses arrived." <laughs> 
What are you talking about? <laughs> Blue blocker <You> sunglasses. <laughs> These things are incredible. I feel like I'm seeing the world in HD. Uh, let me go to, speaking of infomercials, let me go to Chris. Hey, Chris, good morning. Hey, good morning, guys. How you doing? Good. What's up, buddy? Man, I was watching an infomercial about 2 a.m., all drunk on Captain Morgan, couldn't <laughs> sleep. Yeah. Next thing you know, my brother calls me, says, yo, I got six boxes here at the house for you. I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Open them up. He goes, dude, you got five machetes and like six samurais. <laughs> machetes. <laughs> I wind up checking my account. I missed, I'm missing like $400, and I, I finally figured out it was the knives. Oh my you God. ended up buying machetes well, while drunk. That's great. Drunk. Don't remember it. Yeah. The phone call. I'm missing money trying to figure out where it's at. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, did you have some? I mean, Thanks, uh, I've never been to the Renaissance Fair, but that's oh, something yeah. similar, right? You would. You always came back with swords. Swords. We got them in the office. They're all displayed. I've got one. I've got one here, but I have more at home. I eventually gave some uh, away because I'm like, what? What am I doing? What am I doing with these? Why do I have these? <laughs> I almost bought. I almost bought. They had the entire array. Of the Lord of the Rings swords. I mean, I'm talking the orc swords, the uh, narsal. They had every single variety of sword. You were talking about this. You, were you to- could get, and I'm like, I can do that. <laughs> I can do that. And I would build a wall, you know, where I would. I uh, shall build a wall. Yes. Oh and on God. that wall, I shall place my swords. This is at the Renaissance Fair. Is this the thing that's actually in the ship? It's like a yeah, inside uh, inside of it. the ship. Yeah, they had the full display of these yeah. of these swords. I mounted. shall build a wall in Harleysville. They were mounted on the wall. They looked amazing, and and I didn't want just one. I wanted all of them uh, because they had you know they had everything. Lagalos uh, his sword, yeah. even though he's a, he's a bow guy. They had one for him. They had, they had what all- if you had uh, just another? beer. Do you think maybe? I probably, well, Rochelle was with me. It wasn't going to happen. There's no <laughs> way she was going to let me get that. The, 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 the two or three I came back with were, were too many Do as it was. all of our children need to go to college? Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. Uh, let me see. Uh, what is this? I'm going to go to uh, let me go to James. Hi, James. Good morning. Hey, sorry about you guys at work. It's all okay. right. What's up, buddy? Yeah, so um, seeing out like drinking and buying stuff online, um, my girlfriend, she uh, does babysitting part-time, and a couple months ago, she left me and uh, our two girls home, um, my two dogs, and uh, we, we were all drinking, and I said, my boss has been riding me for the last six years, so I haven't taken a vacation, so I kind of just got drunk and bought a ticket to Germany. Uh, so let, me, let, me, let me take this story back. You and your dogs are drinking? Well... They were kind of like supervising me. <laughs> okay. They were watching them. And you, you, you bought tic- a ticket to Germany. Yeah. Just yeah, basically. <laughs> when are you going? I'm going May 17th. I'm coming back the 28th. <laughs> all by yourself? Yeah, all by myself. And like the craziest thing was like. The- <laughs> oh, my God. Wait, so is your yeah, wife so- or girlfriend going with you? No. No, no, I'm, I'm flying solo. Oh, my God, he's going. <laughs> I, I am assuming That's the ticket fun. was non-refundable, uh, correct? Yeah, it's non-refundable, but, you know, my, I gave my boss a notice, and he gave me the go-ahead. So. Okay. Right, and then, now, have you gone ahead and made, uh, you know, plans of where you're going to stay and stuff like that yet, or is it just, I'm flying to yeah, Germany? Yeah. Like, the weird thing was, like, I'm starting to, like, I was trying to, like, process the whole, you know, fact I'm flying halfway across the world. And I'm like, man, where am I going to stay at, you know? If I may suggest and, something, uh, get drunk and then go online and plan your itinerary. Yeah, Might yeah. as well make it a whole thing. Yes. Yeah. Well, you know what? 
that's exactly what I did. I downloaded Airbnb and I started texting these um <laughs> like these hosts in German, and they're like, "Oh yeah, come by! Like we can't wait to see you." I'm like, "All right, I guess I'll see you guys in like a couple months." Okay. So I mean, oh pre- pretty much drinking and doing things has been working out pretty well in 2018. So yeah, you may have to thank your drunk self later on after you have a trip of a lifetime to Germany, right? man. Yeah, right. All right. Enjoy. Oh, yeah, get, get back to work. Yeah. Uh, All right, man. See you, man. Uh, Marissa's been doing some uh, some drunk airline purchasing. Is that right? As of late. I think she, uh, yeah, this was uh, last night maybe or? Yeah, just over the weekend I uh, bought a trip to Vegas. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when are you going? Oh, during our vacation in oh, the spring. Okay. Yeah, just for a few days. You alone or do you have friends out there or are you going with other people? My friend happens to be out there for a conference, so I'm crashing oh. with her. And, okay. Uh, yeah. All right, nice. Yeah, and that's how it starts, too. It's like we're out drinking. Yes. You talk about it. We should do it. Oh, we should do it. We should do it. Oh, my God. That's how it works. Uh, I've got one friend. She's got four kids, and my other friend has two kids. uh, And we were all discussing we're turning 40. We're going to go away. We're going to do a friend trip. Yes, we're going to do it. And then we're on a text chain like a week later, and everyone's like, well, he has softball. She she has softball. He's got baseball. We've got basketball. I don't. Th- I can't go that weekend, and it's like, okay, forget it. Oh, we're gonna, we all booked a trip to Pitcairn Island. <laughs> That's where the bounty sunk. Yeah, so drunk shopping is is picking up uh, uh, quite a bit within the past couple of years. I'm going to go to uh, Melanie. Hey, Melanie, good morning. Good morning. What's up, Melanie? What's your story? Well, my husband purchased himself an $80,000 vehicle. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> well, <laughs> he was lit up? No, no. Hold on. It gets better. Okay. So... He, it's obviously a sports car. Yeah. So the roads were a little slippery, and he kind of crashed. So he came home that weekend. He was really bumming. He loves this car. So I, don't, I wouldn't say he was drunk, but he said to me, honey, I think I had a little bit too much to drink today. And I said, okay. I bought another $80,000 car. Oh, oh my, my God. God. The same exact car. That he crashed. Well, let me ask you something. So we assume he had insurance on the first car, correct? Yes, yes, yes. Okay, so so he just he just simply he uh, he you could roll that over to the purchase of the second car because it sounds the first car was totaled. Oh, it wasn't totaled. So <laughs> it, now he has two of those vehicles. Well, the copper <sighs> is also he does auto body repair. Oh, well, that helps. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. Did he learn his lesson about driving while lit up? Well, no, no, no. He wasn't lit up driving. The roads were just a little. Oh, okay. And, and he drove like over the painted yellow line. I see. So when he bought the second, second car, car I got buzzed. you. All right. So that's he okay. bought the exact same car, same car, same year, same model, same color. Everything. Oh my god. What kind of car is it? Um, a V twenty eight Camaro. All right. Okay. So, quick question: Did you want to beat the piss out of him? No, because the following year. I bought myself one. <laughs> <laughs> she like whispered All right. it. All right. Thank do you, you ever Melanie. do you savor that if if um if Rochelle gets her something? Do you like okay now now I have a little I have to get have a little credit now and um a little bit yeah, yeah. a little bit yeah maybe, you know oh, it's, oh, yeah. it's my turn for a yeah. toy now you know uh, let me go. Oh, there's a new Batman statue out. I'm gonna go to uh, Nicole here. Hi Nicole, you're on the air. Good morning. Hi, good morning. How are you? Doing great, Nicole. All right, what did you buy when you were drunk? So I was going on an international flight, and my flight was delayed. So I had a couple Long Island iced teas in the airport and wound (laughs) up 
spending almost all of my vacation money on the duty-free crap that you can buy there, like yep. perfumes and scarves and purses. Mm. And then when I got on the plane, I bought more of the stuff that they sell on the plane, on the, their little carts. And the I Sky Mall. Left. Oh, it was terrible. <laughs> well, let me I ask you. I had no money for my vacation. I spent it all before you got off the plane. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen people do that. And, I'm, you know, people don't travel a lot. What is that? That's and the, you can't the, exchange anything because no. you're in another country. Yep. That's the duty-free shop. Well, what does that mean? Yeah. They don't charge you. Ta- oh my God! Yeah. I know. I know. Yeah. Sometimes you 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 buy just because <laughs> you, it, because you're told it's a better deal. Now sometimes it really is. Sometimes it depends on what country you're in, and and liquor will be much cheaper. Right. 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 Or sometimes it's way more expensive. But you have to know. That's the thing. Yeah. You have to drink that alcohol and Thanks, and know that that is a deal that you're getting. Dude, yeah. I bought it. I was seventeen. And I bought it going to uh, Cancun for senior week. So I didn't really even know what I was buying. You, you know, just I bought just, booze? I just bought when, we, when we took the trip last year, we were flying over to uh, to Denmark. And these uh, uh, these 20-somethings were, I mean, they, they bought so many bottles of liquor <laughs> at the duty-free shop. Like huge ones because they sell really large right, ones yeah, there yeah. too. And they were just, they were just loaded. You got to carry that crap around. You do now. have to yeah. carry that crap around. But sometimes it's, sometimes it's a bargain. Other times it's not quite so... Interesting, but I, I thought that stat was was kind of wild. Finder.com shows nearly half of American adults have admitted to making purchases while under the influence, and they spent um, about $447 per person last year compared to uh, the following year, $206 on drunk purchases. Quick question. Do you think you're more inclined to shop extravagantly under booze, under the influence of booze, or pot? Oh, booze, no question. Right? Booze no would seem question. to be the culprit because it lowers your inhibition. Yeah, and you are you're you're more likely to say "eff it." Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. except yeah. for judgment first. Life is short. Yeah, yeah, except for food. Except for food. Yeah. yeah, food's a different story. Yeah, if you're especially if you're at the buffet. Yeah, and if you're if you're drinking, you want more to drink. Yes. And so you know <laughs> that doesn't count as food. I don't think. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, interesting. Thanks for your phone calls. I appreciate it. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back shortly. Love Preston and Steve and WMMR? Check out WMMR.com for more of everything that rocks. The most hated jeweler in America makes it so easy to get engaged. Meet the beautiful, classy, and brilliant Krista. She's Stephen's most loved engagement ring and will dazzle. She takes the stress and guesswork out of finding the perfect ring. A bright white, high-quality, round, brilliant diamond in a classic solitaire setting. Meet Krista today, starting at under $700. Online at IHateStevenSinger.com or at the other corner of 8th and Walnut by appointment only. Free shipping and interest-free financing. It's so easy. Steven Singer Jewelers. That's IHateStevenSinger.com. The most hated jeweler in America makes it so easy to get engaged. Meet the beautiful, classy, and brilliant Krista. She's Stephen's most loved engagement ring and will dazzle. She takes the stress and guesswork out of finding the perfect ring. A bright white, high-quality, round, brilliant diamond in a classic solitaire setting. Meet Krista today, starting at under $700. Online at IHateStevenSinger.com or at the other corner of 8th and Walnut by appointment only. Free shipping and interest-free financing. It's so easy. Steven Singer Jewelers. That's I hate stevensinger.com. Back with more of the Preston and Steve Show podcast. There was an article that came out a little while back I found kind of interesting, uh, and it was stating that more than one third of paramedics have reported being assaulted while on the job during the past 12 months. Oh, that sucks. One third. 
It's not that, not like the job is tough enough. You're getting assaulted. And this was done, by the way, across. Uh, this is done internationally, so it's not just in the U.S. It's all over the world. Uh, medical officers have called for better training and cooperation with police and improved education as a way to prevent future assaults. And the first international study looking at paramedic assaults. I, uh, the study surveyed about 1,778 paramedics from 13 different countries. Of them, 633 reported being assaulted in the past year, and 203 of those said the incident could have been prevented. friend of mine years ago, paramedic, um, yeah, all the time, getting into uh, fights and scuffles, you know, at the scene where he's responding yeah, you're just to take care to of someone. Exactly. And somebody there, a relative or somebody. Well, it's funny, you, know, you hear you hear about uh, people that are overdosing on heroin and yeah. they get the uh, the Narcan and then they come to and they, they get pissed off. It's like, dude, you're Start about swinging. to die. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude, you're about to die. Uh, but intern Joe, he uh, he's yeah. a paramedic now or an EMT. I don't know if there's a difference between. Uh, yes, there's a difference. <laughs> okay. Yes, there's a big difference. Big difference. A paramedic can prescribe medications, I believe. So, or not prescribe, but now I'm, I'm can make them in his basement. You'd better call now because okay, yeah. otherwise <laughs> we go. gonna, we're going to muck <laughs> yeah. it up left and Please right. Call us. Uh, but yes, there's a, there's a, there's a there, difference. there is a big difference. I understand. Yeah, that. I just don't know what the difference one of is. them can use a parachute and the other one cannot. Uh, so yeah, they're saying that's a third. And listen, sometimes it happens that you just have a confused person, somebody who's sure uh, who's been injured is uh, they don't know. Yeah, they can be uh, flailing. Yeah, exactly. So it happens. Um, so self-defense equipment and resources were mentioned as a potential solution by multiple respondents in the survey, such as restraints for violent patients, as well as ketamine for those who do not respond to drugs such as Valium. It's, it's, I mean, listen, you know, like you're, we talk about police showing up at the scene, something's happened, you don't know what's going on. You have these, these men and women showing up and you know that the situation's already gone south. There's somebody in 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 a we assume a dire situation, yeah. and then while you're trying to take care of that person, or maybe even that person themselves, you start to get in. You, you're getting attacked. Do you guys see uh, fifteen seventeen of Paris yet? That Clint Eastwood movie. No, yeah. I have not. I want to see it though. All right. So there are these scenes, Steve, and and they used the real men who were involved in the uh, terrorist attack on the train, right? And they talk about the training that these guys go through. One guy goes through uh, Air Force paramedic uh, right. training, and. Uh, this is just the training exercises, and I found myself getting tense at the stuff that he was supposed to memorize where, like, there's a clear fluid coming out of a victim's brain, or a victim's ears because there's been a brain injury. And, oh and the ability God. to um, discern what's happening while something tragic and awful is happening at the same time and then react properly. I would collapse. I, I don't. It, it, it takes a, a, a um, an ability that is foreign to me. I, the greatest service I've done to humanity is not become a paramedic right. or an EMT. I mean, you know I how save to do more tra- lives by knowing I'm stupid. You can do a trach, right? Yeah, yeah the tracheotomy is my specialty. With a pen? If you need that, I, I yeah, with the big pen. I'm going to go to Tony. Hi. Tony, good morning. I like turtles. Yes. Yeah, nice. Tony, you are an EMT? Yes, and uh, I actually work where you live there, Preston. Oh, Excellent. In your Lower, house. In your Lower, basement. Uh, <laughs> Lower, He's inside the house. <laughs> Low, Lower Salford, I assume? In the Harleysville area. Yes, okay. Sir. All right, cool. So uh, what's up? What's the difference here between AMTs and uh, paramedics? So EMTs is what we call basic. We can do basic life safety. We can set off bleeding, stuff like that. Paramedic is where we give out medications uh, for various things, nausea, heart medicines, um, when you're overdosing, uh, we can do that seizures. We can give seizure, you know, to reverse yep. the seizures and stuff like that. So how do uh, so? So when a call goes in, I mean, obviously questions are asked, and then at that point they know whether to send um, EMT workers or paramedics. Correct. Uh, so 
most of the squads, the ambulances in the area, especially in Montgomery County, are what we call our ALS trucks. They're paramedic and EMT. Uh, so depending, it doesn't matter what call you're going on. There's always a medic and there's always an EMT. Okay, the that makes um, sense. And then we switch off depending on what we find on the scene. Like some calls are dispatched. Just BLS, just basic. You got toe pain. Guess what? The EMT is riding that in. Other ones, you're having chest pain, a heart attack. Guess what? The medics are riding that in because they can give the medications and give the with the monitor. They can do cardioversion. Hey Tony, with that. Yeah. Have you ever been? Have you ever been attacked? Have you ever been yeah. in a? Yeah, you have. How, yeah. how how often do you get into a physical altercation while you're responding? Um, nowadays, not so much. Um, I used to work for. Uh, psychiatric truck out of the state hospital, um, and that was a constant occurrence. It was yeah. literally one of those daily things where you like you knew you're going in, and at one point in your shift, you're getting punched, kicked, bit, whatever. Um, nowadays, ever, for me, it's not so much. Have you ever had a uh, a situation where it's like, oh my god, this this you know this is this got this got super real? Uh, so had a few of the uh, barricaded subjects. Um, not necessarily in the Hardingville area, but when they come out, they usually come out. If they're not taken by police, they are coming out swinging. They are very upset, and you end up getting in the line of fire there with, with punches, kicks, anything. All right, all right. How many times have you been called to Preston's house because of a hot tub issue? <laughs> Look, I promise you I want to tell. Don't answer that question. Tony. Don't answer Thanks, that question. Man. Appreciate it, by the we way. We have a man with very pruned fingers. Hey, uh, okay, so this is a little bit off topic, yeah. but we can go back to this in a second. But speaking of uh, of uh, emergency crews and so forth, I went by uh, Wawa and skip back on uh, Sunday morning, and there was a large group of large men in the parking lot, and they were all wearing black T-shirts. I mean, a lot of guys. Okay. And it looked like the steroid convention. Huh. These guys were freaking huge. Really? And they were wearing shirts that said uh, CERT, C-E-R-T. So I went and looked that up. It's emergency response team of some sort. I'm glad they're huge, the emergency response team guys. <laughs> they, they look I'm like here with the emergency response. <laughs> they look like the biggest group of large, unhappy men that I've ever seen in my life. They just look pissed off. That's Did the that? way I want them. Uh, yeah, yeah, I don't know about that. Um, I, I was like not comfortable being yeah. around them. I just have a little bit of a smile. Uh, you know, like I'm like, wow, you guys really hate what you do. Wait, what, <laughs> what did you? you? On the radio, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I figured. Yeah. What did you find out they were? C E R T. It's a it's a government funded it's a mouth mint. Uh, response team, emergency response team. Computer emergency response. No, team? no, okay. not commute, not computer yes, emergency. Actually, response. That's what Wiki says. <laughs> clearly, has a problem with your hookup. I suggest you replace your Ethernet cable. Yes, there, I do steroids. Here you go. The community <laughs> emergency response team. Uh, I assume that's them. That's probably it. Yeah, it says... Hey, What's going on over there in Hollywood? I don't know, man. They were oh. all over. They were crawling all over the place. People have suggested something right here on text. Oh, uh, t- Teams is for the Greaterford uh, Prisoner Transfer. Uh, yeah, I'd be pissed off, too. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they, so they have built... You guys know I live right by Greaterford Prison. Yes. So they built... the schools. They built a... Yeah, of yeah. course. They went... 
they built a whole new facility there. All right. An entirely new prison. And my wife was actually telling me, she said, yeah, I think this weekend they're transferring all the prisoners over. So that's probably what it was. That's what it was. Well, you in want fact, those guys looking mean, right? Yeah, yes. Yeah. You know what? In fact, one of the guys had a shirt that said DOC on the back, okay. back of it. That's Department said, of Corrections. Uh-huh. No wonder they didn't look happy. Well, you can't. Listen. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> My brother was They're a corrections officer. Yeah. Thousands of prisoners from one location you to another. You know how pissed off you get when you have to help a friend move? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> how many times have you been asked to move a prison? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh how, many, how about a, a few thousand pounds? This end fellas? table weighs 5,000 pounds! Hang Listen, on. that has got to be a task oh. that you can't even imagine. I'm going to go to Tyler. Hey, Tyler, good morning. Hey, good morning. Hey, what's up, buddy? Hey, uh, not too much. I just wanted to uh, clear things up. Sounds like you guys already got it figured out, but uh, I used to work for the Department of Corrections, and CERT is the Corrections Emergency Response Team. Okay. It's like our version of not not quite as heavy as SWAT, but they're an emergency response team to quell riots. And got it. Dear oh, God. I'm telling you, that's Tyler, a hell of a job. Dude, it was a group of the biggest-looking guys I've ever seen, and there had to have been. Oh, had yeah, had to have been at least 40 of them there, 35 or 40 of them there, and they were all oh, congregating. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, they were moving from SCI Greaterford to SCI Phoenix. That yeah. move required the, the attention of the specialty teams. Yeah. So oh, I would imagine. That, because of that, they were calling the teams from all different facilities to come down and facilitate the move from SCI Greaterford to SCI Dear Phoenix. God, T- Tyler, the... the, the... The amount of work that must go into transferring a prison population to another prison yeah. must be extraordinary. Did you say Phoenix? Yeah, yeah. The new facility is called SCI Phoenix. Is that in Phoenixville or is that just the name no. of it? No, it's just the name of it. It's okay. still on the same grounds as it's, SCI Greaterford. It's next door to it. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's it's yeah. it's right next door, yeah. Yeah, so you know when you come in through Collegeville, you can see the lights of Greaterford up on the hill? Yep. There are brighter, whiter lights under that. That's SCI Phoenix. Yeah, the other ones are kind of orangish-yellow, and these new ones are, are, are bright white. And, in fact, they finally, Tyler, had them all lit up this weekend. They, they, had, they had, had portions of them. I know it was beautiful. Can you see the lights of Greaterford from the hot tub? <laughs> I, <laughs> not from the hot tub. From the front door, yes. Really? Oh, yeah. oh my God. Absolutely. So yeah. are there still inmates in the old building, or has everyone moved to the new building? Uh, as far as uh, as far as I know, they put out a news release on their Facebook page last night that the final bus left Greaterford yesterday. So, Tyler, as as they're boxing up all the prisoners, I, what do they write on the outside of the box? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Tyler. Appreciate this. it. Yep, no problem. You have a good one, man. And Greaterford, I mean, that's the big house. That's it. That's that's the real deal. It's now, it's a straight up prison. The new facility. The reason for the new facility was to provide a spa. Correct. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Uh, but I, no wonder, because I saw these guys, it was a beautiful morning. Yeah. They're all up, you know, ready to go to whatever their job is, whatever doing it. And like, not one of them looked like they were ready for the, they looked angry. Well, I'm like, wow. Now man. you understand. Oh, hell yeah. yeah, they, had a, yeah. they had a serious job ahead of them. They had to Dear be, God. They had to be as serious as they could be. Or maybe they were getting into character, you know, maybe they're actually, they weren't that pissed off. They just had to pretend like they're They got to put on the face. Yeah. Uh, interesting. Okay. Well, thanks for the heads up on that. I appreciate that. Uh, speaking of other dangerous jobs, we had mentioned that uh, being an EMT or being a, uh, uh, a paramedic, uh, can put you in the way of assault yeah. on occasion. Uh, I did see this list of the eight most dangerous jobs in the world. Eight most dangerous. Uh, you know, why am I perpetually fascinated by lists like this? Because it makes you appreciate, I think, 
the job you have. There's a couple of surprising... I had a paper cut about a month ago. <laughs> There's a couple of surprising ones in here. CPA? Uh, to be honest, no. But, uh, like, private investigator is number eight on here. Of course. Uh, they often do their own work with no backup. They catch people doing terrible or even illegal acts. And some of the dangers they face on a regular basis are demanding work schedules, violent people, getting into car accidents, or extreme temperatures while they're, you know, casing a place. Well, yeah, I mean, you're basically spying on somebody who doesn't want to be spied on, who is, you know, potentially breaking the law. I actually met somebody who was kind of casing somebody outside here in our parking lot. Really? Yeah, because we have doctor's offices and stuff like that. Uh, so, so it's not just... Oh, I did too. Yeah, yeah, but they're making sure that this person wasn't doing a... Uh, uh, insurance fraud or something like yeah. that. To see if they show up and yeah. put on like a neck brace and stuff like that. Uh-huh. It, it, private investigators who do that, that's yep. that could be risky as well. Wait, How- are you were you talking about one of our former interns? No. Oh, never oh. mind. All right, so eight. <laughs> oh, I want to hear this story. Oh, yeah. I'll oh, tell my. you. I'll oh. All right. Eight most dangerous jobs in the world. Ground maintenance workers. Ground maintenance? You mean because of the equipment you're using? I believe so. It says uh, taking care of parks and outdoor areas may seem harmless, but according to this study, 217 total fatalities reported in 2016. Most of the deaths were due to falls, electrocutions, Transportation accidents or being struck by loose objects, not squirrels. When I, when I whenever I see those uh, esplunt, uh, yes, you know, yeah, 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 working on the side of the yep. road, and they've got all those wood chippers and they're, they're cutting down branches and stuff. I'm like, somebody's got to get hurt from time to time. I've had a regular backyard wood chipper, regular size. Yeah, when there's something that you know, two people side by side could jump through, no problem. Yeah, those suckers are huge. Yeah, uh, number six on this list are truck drivers. They have the highest number of deaths on the job in 2016, so the study's a couple years old, uh, than any other occupation in the United States. Truck drivers. With a death rate of 24.7 per 100,000 workers. This is because they carry heavy and dangerous loads, drive when tired, and are driving so much that they are prone to being in a deadly accident. I wonder how much the the litigate, or not the litigation, but the the new... The law is meant to uh, stop yeah. them from driving. You know, there's there there are specific rules to how long they can be driving and how much they have to rest. Uh, you know, yeah. At, when you're uh, a long intervals. haul trucker, you yeah. can only um, log X amount of hours right. per day. Uh, every now and again, when I'm looking at, or driving, and and I'm, I'm surrounded by tractor trailers, I'm like, how are these things even legal? You know what I mean? <laughs> They're big, man. They're so big. No, you're right. Uh, number five, no surprise, police officers. Yes. yes. One of the most dangerous jobs uh, around. Uh, police, and I think this is in the world, yeah, this is internationally. Uh, police officers encounter the most dangerous criminals in situations and are uh, uh, murdered more than any other profession. Uh, so that one you would expect to be on this list. One you would not expect to be on this list. Number four, veterinarians. Yeah. Because of animal attacks? Um, well, and there's there's various types of veterinarians as well, not just, you know, your dog and cat. Right. There are oh, ones right. that take like, care of big animals as well. And yeah. Polar bear veterinarian, I'm yeah. sure, has a well, more game difficult pres- deal. Game preserves and things like right. that yeah, as yeah. well. <laughs> and they don't take the temperature by putting the thermometer under their tongue. Right. right yeah. Vets are exposed to animal bites, <laughs> infections, and illnesses, but mental health can also play a part. <laughs> High stress. Financial strain and emotional hardships associated with euthanasia oh. can be the leading cause of suicide. Oh, so really? they, they on a daily yeah. basis see people with their beloved pets 
putting down their uh, their their pets, and it, it it starts to affect them. Yeah, maybe not just seeing other people, but actually the animals seeing the animal die. Yeah, them as yeah. well has got to be tough. I mean, yeah. I had to do that in this past year with my cat, and uh, it was the first time I ever had to do that. Yes, and it was really really it was harder than I thought it was going to be. It's incredibly and, difficult. And even though the vet told me I was doing the right thing, yep. It still didn't feel like it I was does. doing the right thing. I know. I know. You know? You know yeah. how you help mitigate that a little bit? Make sure you always have nine to ten cats at home. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's all you got to do. Yeah. But, you know, they, but they're the ones who actually have to do that. You know, the cat was laying in my arms, but yeah. somebody else had to administer the drug. No, it's, it's, it's mm. heavy. It's a family member, yeah. and, and it will impact you. In, in Australia, the Australian Veterinary Association vets are up to four times more likely to commit suicide than the rest Eagle. of the population. Oh, I love this great white claw. <laughs> <laughs> they call them binkies, my favorite box jellyfish. <laughs> What kind of pets are they bring? The yeah. ringed octopus. Yeah, the ring octopus. Yeah. That's a... I call him Sucky. Because he's got little suckers on his tentacles. Get all emotional when yeah. you do that. That's... Goodbye, buddy. <laughs> what about your saltwater crocodile? Oh, the sound of you going... <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. Australian vet. <laughs> yeah. Had to put it down. Had to put down my saltwater crocodile. <laughs> Did he have a name? Chompers. Chompers. <laughs> well, poor guy. Uh, so veterinarians. All right, here's another one. Roofers. Yeah. These are some of the most dangerous jobs Because in the world. they fall yes. off. Yes, exactly. It's an obvious Steve. one. Uh-huh. I wonder how many, uh, how many a roofer has in, encountered... Um, Passing out from heat. Well, yeah, and it, especially yeah. as we start to move into another uh, string of ninety plus degree days, mm. uh, you know. And what? Correct me if I'm wrong. Was did we not hear someone say that union rules? I guess it depends on whether the union or not. There's a certain temperature, certain temperature you cannot yeah. be up on a roof doing. Your, I had a, it's illegal. Yeah, I had a friend who was a union roofer, and right. I, I don't know if it was a certain temperature or what, but I mean, there was when it got to that ridiculous heat, they right. would, they wouldn't work. Right, they probably depends on, on the employer too. You know, yeah. like and, and how stringent they are when it comes <laughs> to those rules. I had a job. I don't I don't know if I ever told you guys this, but uh, it, I did not last very long at this job. It was. Uh, a, a maintenance company, and one of the jobs, it was in the winter, uh, it was, was over a uh, winter break from college, uh, was to take the, s- the snow off of roofs. So we would go to warehouses, okay. and, like, so long, big, flat roofs where the snow would um, would weigh it down and become a hazard inside the building. The job was to take uh, the snow, and it was, you'd think flat roof, snow, easy, it's just back-breaking stuff. It was really slippery and really difficult being up there. And sure. Was, you know, a chance and, and, fall. And, and, so yeah, fall off. Yeah, I had a friend who, who had a fall from, from roofing, yeah, and he was yeah. doing it as some Summertime work and uh, he, man, he got he he laid up in the hospital for like yeah. a couple of weeks. Yeah. Preston, it was a pretty nasty. Friend in yeah. college was doing stuff like that, and he right. was bringing a sheet of plywood up. So he's going up the ladder, held the the plywood to the side as he's going up. Gust of wind turned that thing into a sail, Oof. and he got blown off like four stories up. It's uh, it's dangerous work. And number three on this list, number two is a welder. Uh, it says welders, especially underwater welders, and we know an underwater yeah. welder, uh, are very susceptible to injuries and accidents. Usually, electricity and water don't mix, but it is part of the job for underwater welders. They face many dangerous dangers, including explosions and different pressure hazards. I don't know why they don't get rid of that equipment and go completely with repulsor rays. I saw Iron Man doing it, and it seemed to be no problem. It seemed really right. easy, right? Yeah. Is that in the second movie? The third. Third movie. 
Underwater welders die at a rate of 40 times higher than America's national average. We did that uh, cooling caravan with Dunkin' Donuts a few weeks ago and got a few emails from people, and it just wasn't geographically convenient, but from uh, from welders working in this heat without air conditioners, all they have is fans. I, I don't know how it's humanly possible to do that. <laughs> There you go. Just use that. Just use that. Uh, so that's number two. And then the number one on this uh, most dangerous jobs in the world, lumberjacks have the number one most dangerous job. That's always up there. Yeah. And you know what else is usually on a list like this? Uh, although if, maybe if it were just uh, concentrated in America, but farmers have very, very yeah. dangerous jobs as well. So the lumberjacks, we, we know that there's all sorts of sharp tools and trees falling on you, but is that basically the gist of it? Yeah. Or is it the, 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 the embarrassment of having to wear all that flannel? No, not that. Uh, they, they not only uh, use dangerous machinery, but uh, they climb trees and around falling heavy trees as well. In 2016, the Bureau of Labor Statistics reported uh, that an average 135.9 out of 100,000 deaths. Uh, most deaths are from falling trees or equipment errors. Do you ever watch any of that show with about the lumberjacks? It was, no. Um, I've seen scenes, yeah, but I've it, never really watched the show. They, like every episode, had something going wrong, you know? Hang on. Jamie says working in mushroom houses are dangerous. Mushroom houses. Hi, Jamie. Good morning. Hey, what's up, Preston? Yeah, bud. Uh, yeah, I knew something that well, I knew it wasn't going to be on this list, of course. But uh, my dad owns a mushroom business, and I've been working inside the mushroom house for the past uh, three months. But I've been working for the company for the past four years, and every single day you hear people either falling um, twenty feet high. My dad actually was on uh, workman's comp uh, about three years ago because he fell. And they work with pitchforks, and he fell on top of the pitchforks. Oh, oh so, my God. so let me ask you something, uh, Jamie. Are they so? Are they walking on platforms above? They're working on wood. It's literally just wood, and um, the wood boards. And the boards have been there for twenty years, thirty years. Uh, they barely get replaced, you know. Or uh, that's usually the case where people just you. It's twenty feet high. You're, you're if you saw footage, people working inside the mushroom house, you wouldn't believe it. It's a the other day. Uh, the temperature said one hundred and ten degrees, and I literally had to get put, stick my head outside so I can breathe because I couldn't breathe. One hundred and ten degrees with a bunch of stinky mushrooms. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I, I, so the configuration has has the workers above twenty feet above them on. Uh-huh. On yeah. wooden planks. Yeah. Where are you? Where? Where's? Um, we, we, it's Kenneth Square. Actually. Yeah. It is Kenneth Square, the mushroom yeah. capital of the world. Yeah. yeah. Of course. Yep. Mm-hmm. Wow. It's okay. Y- it doesn't sound good. Yeah. Jamie always thought they did that like in caves and stuff like that. <laughs> no. Nope. Nope. You're thinking of cave mushrooms? No, I've seen them. <laughs> I've seen them growing them in. Am I wrong about that? Well, maybe. I mean, maybe. But here in Kenneth Square, there's so many. Um, actually, there's a lot of competition. There's so many mushroom houses. You can go down every single road in Kenneth Square and find a mushroom house. And uh, I was actually, I've been in mushroom uh, work my whole entire life. My dad actually worked for a company. And then he uh, became their mechanic and then got a loan. And he owns his own business now. So I've been working for him. But before that, I was working in a mushroom house also. Okay. Just real quick, why why Kenneth Square? Is it the soil? Why is it so popular and uh, abundant it's, there? It's perfect. It's perfect. The, actually, the temperature. The, the cottonness, coldness, everything, the temperature is just, just right. And Kenneth Square, I don't know if it's just because uh, it started off, someone started off with a mushroom business, but eventually it grew. And it's very hard to, uh, uh, the, it's just perfect. Everything's perfect. Yeah. Maybe it already smelled like poop before right. they got yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Let's then. Go Preston, why not Rutledge? Uh, I don't know. Why not Rutledge? It's too small. Is it's it? Yeah, it's only got nine streets. Yeah. 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 Right, thanks, know Jamie. Appreciate it, man. <laughs> <Case>? <laughs> you know, um, so, 
I my I have a few friends of mine that are special education teachers, and they tell me that um, they can be attacked at any point, and it's a really really dangerous job. They yeah. never know what you're going to get. And in fact, uh, my one friend, she was smaller, and she would get get her ass handed to her. On a daily basis, and, so, and how do you deal with that when it's it's a lot of times it's not the kids' fault. No, right, it's, right, it's exactly. not. Yeah, and, 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 you got to protect yourself, but not right. but not yeah, yeah. harm the person that you are. Yeah. supposed and to be. And that's all you can after. really do is just you protect what, yourself. The mushroom right? house is looking better. Yeah, yeah. right. Wow. Uh, interesting. Listen, I appreciate. I, we got to take a break. Let me go. To, uh, I'm going to do one call because yes. he's been on hold the longest. We have a private investigator who was the first thing I had on this list. Hi. Uh, good morning. You're on the air. I love you. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> I love you. Uh, so you wanted to mention about uh, your job being dangerous? Yeah, I wanted to say that, um, you know, wintertime is pretty easy because I've got a sleeping bag that I just, it's for like negative 30 degree winters and stuff. So I use that in the wintertime. But in the summertime, man, uh, it's not it's not safe to leave your vehicle running the whole time with the AC going because that could really mess up your vehicle. But you know, like on a hot day, like ninety degrees, ninety five, add about a, add about fifty degrees to that, and you know you're working in about a hundred and fifty degree car. Jeez! And you know what? Stakeouts must suck, and I know that's a lot of what you do, but just sitting and waiting has. Yeah, I'm definitely, sh- yeah. I'm sure it you're used to it by boring. now, but you know. Yeah, it's definitely get, can get boring at times. It uh, you know when the things happen, they happen, and you know it's an opportunity to turn the AC on in the car, but. <laughs> You know, there are days where you're just sitting in one spot for eight hours, ten hours at a time. Let, let me ask you, uh, give me percentages here. How, how much of your time is spent simply surveilling, and how much time is spent actually active in arresting someone or, or, or something else? I don't actually arrest anyone. Yeah. I kind of just, you know, I observe the activity. I take video of it. I take photographs, document it, and then I send it in. So, uh, so, so my- 100% is surveillance. 100% is surveillance, um, but if a person's not active, like if they're just in their house, like I'm not going to go into their living room and start filming them. Like right. if they're just in their house, it's just you're all you're doing is just sitting in your car, but it can get real hot. And there have been times where I've been in a hot car, uh, like 150 degree car, and the person I'm surveilling is having like a pool party. Oh man, that sucks. I, I would I would take my clothes off. I'd have right. to <laughs> sit there naked I've in done the it before. <laughs> yeah, I've, been, I've been down to my underwear in this car. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Sure, man. All right, thanks, man. Um, Appreciate it. Well, there's a lot of a lot of strange jobs out there that do have dangers, and the, uh, private investigator is one of them. I found that interesting. All right, anyhow, thanks for your calls. Appreciate it. Stay with us, my friend. Yeah. Glad you asked. The Pretty Reckless. She said the world does not belong to you. Greta Van Fleet. Aaron Jones. New music. More of everything that rocks. On 93.3 WMMR. Now, WMMR presents Kristen and Steve's Bizarre File. A 70-year-old woman had four pounds of cocaine stash in her girdles and underwear. Oh, my goodness. According to federal agents who found the stash during a pat-down at John F. Kennedy International Airport in New York. I just have a lumpy vagina. Olive. (laughs) All right. He's had food in his mouth. (laughs) Olive Fowler. 
arrived to JFK last Sunday on a Caribbean Airlines flight from Georgetown, Guyana. Uh, traveling on a non-immigrant visitor's visa, Fowler was selected for an examination by U.S. Customs and Border Protection officers. I guess that's the kind of person you'd pick if you're looking for a drug mule. Yeah. While, someone who won't raise suspicion. While agents examined her baggage, though, she was sweating perf- profusely <laughs> and avoided eye contact with the officers, so she gave it away. I just let me take my cocaine, I mean my bag, and go, please. Suspicious agents then opted to perform a pat-down search. I'm and- here to visit my grand cocaine. Oh, damn it! <laughs> <laughs> Officers felt a dense, hard material under the defendant's clothes in the area of the defendant's groin and buttocks. Yeah, keep squeezing, buddy. As it turned out, Fowler was wearing two pairs of compression shorts over her underwear, garments that held nearly two kilos of cocaine. Oh, my God. Which had a street value in excess of $73,000. Two pairs of compression shorts on a 70-year-old woman? Yeah. That must have smelled like a battlefield. (laughs) The accused... (laughs) Septuagenarian smuggler was then arrested on a felony narcotics charge. Can you imagine? You know people who do use those compression socks and stuff when they, they fly? Yeah. Um, it's supposed to, you know... Help you with circulation. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't have any issues, but people swear by them. Uh, Fowler is scheduled for an April 27th hearing in U.S. District Court. Officials released evidence photos... Uh, evidence photos showing uh, Fowler's assorted undergarments, including a shot of one girdle that was cut open to reveal the cocaine hidden inside. That's my sexy girdle. An Oklahoma City man faces three charges, <clears throat> including indecent exposure after a reported incident with a door-to-door magazine salesman. Friday, police responded to a call in an apartment complex. A salesman was invited into Colin Mayer's apartment to discuss buying magazine subscriptions. The salesman was in the apartment for about five minutes, and Mayer stripped naked while he was leaving. Mayer then asked the salesman if he would like to, quote, do things to him. Oh, my God. Which shocked and frightened him. The salesman said once he left the apartment, Mayer repeatedly called his cell phone and started to follow him around the apartment complex. I'm really interested in Entertainment Weekly. Naked, by the way. Uh, the salesman. <laughs> Jesus. Then, <laughs> Poor guy's out doing what is a dying job anyway, door-to-door magazine salesman. Yeah. And he happens to get to this guy's house. <laughs> and he called him. Yeah. yeah. Rock the boat, don't tip the boat over. Come on, Dan. <laughs> uh, dude, wanna... I just have Time Magazine and TV, guys. Yeah, are, are you interested or what? <laughs> Love and devotion. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> A salesman called police after an officer placed Mayor under investigation, detention, and into his squad car. Mayor yeah, said... Mayor said that he is naked in his house all the time because it is his house and he is comfortable that way and his religion requires him to be naked. Oh. Well, he's a Lutheran. While in the squad car, <laughs> Mayor reportedly kicked out the side passenger window. Officers removed Mayor from the car and restrained him on the ground, which reportedly caused his mother to charge at the officers. Oh <laughs> Mom got involved. Yeah. One of the officers held back. Thanks. Now the cocaine in my panties dislodged. <laughs> Mayor's mother, and uh, she was told to leave or she would go to jail. She left the scene. He was arrested. Why, why was he arrested then? Just for simply being naked in his own home? No, no, no. He followed him around he, the apartment oh, complex. Okay, there we go. That's yeah. the part where it goes awry. Yeah. Uh, remember when buying Beanie Babies was considered a status symbol, Kathy? Oh, yeah, I remember. Uh, the 90s were a weird time, but the <laughs> promise of a Beanie Baby-based economic system became a reality for one British couple. Leah Rogers and Ryan Flanagan uh, recently purchased a purple teddy bear Beanie Baby for 10 pounds or about 20 bucks. Uh, at a flea market with an inkling that it might be worth more than they paid it was. 
possibly $93,000 more. <laughs> oh, my God. It is one of just 100 Beanie Babies made to commemorate Princess Diana after her death in 1997. The bear is stuffed with special pellets, it says, and has a poem in her memory on the tag. Isn't, aren't there little balls of her flesh in it? No. Oh. Not that I know of. I misread. Yeah, you'd think with a $93,000 price tag on it. Uh, So anyhow. a couple of her teeth inside. They're starting the bidding on eBay at around fifty thousand dollars or so. Is that so? That has to be of all the Beanie Baby collection, the highest valued Beanie Baby. It's a good question. One would think, Kathy, so. you're the expert. Marissa, have, wait, I, wait, wait, wait! You have that one, Marissa? The Princess Diana Beanie Baby. Yeah, I have it as well. Get out of here. Of it. No, why? What, I can barely we, hear you. Get on that mic. Were there like two generations? Do we have a fifty thousand dollar beanie baby? I, it can't be. It, I don't think. I mean, D- but why I, can't I remember, it be? I remember getting that one. Why would there be two? What do you mean? We could have gotten it. At the She's same saying, time, did right? they did they run an initial? Is the oh, is the oh, initial oh, run the one saying. that's worth all the money? I see what you're saying. And then they did a, a replica run. Is right. that what you're asking, Marissa? Yeah. Okay. I need to go over to my parents' house right now. Uh, yeah. I know. I doubt. I'm out of here, suckers. Yeah. I doubt we both have a fifty thousand dollar beanie beanie baby. Go look into it. Uh, but I mean, it yeah, hurt. I definitely got that one. Okay, Kathy. I have my bin in my basement. If you guys want me to ring, you have my your beanie baby, baby bin. Beanie baby bins in your basement. It's downstairs in the beanie baby bin in the basement. The basement beanie baby bin. <laughs> <laughs> Labeled beanie babies. Labeled beanie baby in the basement in the baby beanie baby bin. I mean, it was right next to the rubber baby buggy bumper. <laughs> Uh, dying CIA officer Norman Hodges claims that he assassinated 37 people, including Marilyn Monroe. Wow. The 78-year-old said that he worked for the CIA for 41 years as an operative. He also admitted to acting as a hitman for the government agency. Uh, he is slowly dying. And uh, the retired CIA... I also killed Isaac Newton. Uh, the CIA, the retired CIA officer confessed to uh, committing the assassinations during his stay at... Uh, Centara Norfolk General Hospital. Uh, he's he's legit. I mean, he's a CIA. He was with the CIA. I read a little bit about it. He de- absolutely was and was a, a martial arts expert and all this other he's stuff. A as sniper well. too, he's a sniper yeah. as well. Uh, but uh, there is some contention about his story on Snopes. Yeah, apparently. So, uh, but uh, you know, everyone always thought, or at least a lot of people think, that Maryland was taken out by the Kennedy administration. He said he was also well versed in using explosives and poisons. Marilyn Monroe was the only woman he said he ever assassinated. Hodges said Marilyn had to die. Uh, Monroe had to be eliminated because the famed actress had become a threat uh, for the security of the country, he said. Marilyn has to die. Uh, rego- and uh, while you're over there, beat up uh, Jim Neighbors. Uh, regarding Marilyn Monroe's death, he said, we had evidence that Marilyn Monroe had not only slept with Kennedy, but also with Fidel Castro. <laughs> that was a rumor. He said, my commanding officer, Jimmy Hayworth, told me that she had to die and that it had to look like a suicide or an overdose. I had never killed a woman before, but I obeyed orders, and I did it for America. This is a top-secret order. It must go no further. I want you to falcon punch B. Arthur. <laughs> <laughs> he, he got a little carried away after <laughs> He said she could have transmitted strategic information to the communists, and we couldn't allow that. She had to die. I just did what I had to do. Uh, Marilyn had died in her home in her bedroom on August 5th, 1962. Hodges said that while Marilyn was asleep, he snuck into her bedroom and injected the Hollywood actress with a huge dose of the barbiturate uh, Nembatol, uh, combined with a powerful sedative known as uh, chloral hydrate. 
Uh, Hodges said that he and four other CIA operatives carried out political assassinations across the country. According to Norman, the majority of the victims were union leaders, political activists, and journalists. However, he confessed that some scientists and art artists whose thoughts and actions threatened the interest of the United States were also on the hit list. They did see her as a liability. Sam Giancana, the mobster, had supposedly recorded Marilyn and JFK having sex. Oh. And uh, there was, so there was that whole, cast, Castro was trying to get stuff on Kennedy, Kennedy on Castro, the mob on uh, Robert Kennedy, who was investigating the mob at the time. So I think eventually, Preston, as, as these folks start to die off, Maybe we will we will get some legitimate information. The FBI is taking this seriously. They have uh, placed him under custody and are conducting an investigation. Uh, however, one might assume very little documentation is available pertaining to such clandestine operations, including the death of Marilyn Monroe. Wow! So and and everybody else involved, he's the only one that's still alive. Yeah. Uh, so the wow. other people that he had mentioned have uh, have passed. So there's no they can't verify. And B. Arthur people. passed away a while ago. A yeah. while ago, yeah. So you know the. Indications of a falcon punch may not be there. Uh, so there you go. That's, uh, that's what I got for you in uh, the Bizarre File. Uh, we're going to take a break. We'll be back in just a moment. 93.3 WMMR. Everything that rocks proudly supports the American Cancer Society Bikeathon. Hey, it's Marcus. Imagine a world without cancer. Help make it a reality. Join me and Team WMMR on Sunday, September 19th for the 49th Annual American Cancer Society Bikeathon. We'll start by crossing the Ben Franklin Bridge, and there are multiple starting points in New Jersey. Each Team WMMR rider gets an official team T-shirt. Registration and complete details at WMMR.com. The ACS Bikeathon, another way 93.3 WMMR is putting Philly first. I want to talk about a new... Sex position. Oh Jesus! <laughs> okay, all right. Now you demonstrate. What? Uh, no, no, I'm I'm interested because the, there was a sex position. Uh, Jared Leto was wearing a shirt the other day, <clears throat> and it had all these sex positions listed okay. on it. And all there right. was one that I had never heard of. There's one uh, now. I don't think there are any quote unquote new sex positions no. because the there, people have been Kama at it for Sutra a while. Has been around for a long time, and that pretty much explores all the different possessions positions that you can be in. Uh, but there's one apparently called the Golden Arch. Yes. And there's a... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for uh, a millisecond. I know. You thought? Just yeah, a moment. <laughs> and then I was like... No. I do that all the time. <laughs> Consider the source. Uh, Annabelle Knight, who is a sex guru, uh, has revealed that... Does that say that on a business card? <laughs> that the Golden Arch sex position is perfect for both couples to receive intense pleasure and is very easy to do. We to know a sex guru, the girl in Westchester. Yeah. Yes, Jill and they McDavid. ran her out of town. Uh, did did they? they? Jill McDevitt. Well, they didn't run her out of town. Yeah, like lit torches. Uh, she closed <laughs> up her shop, Aww. and she lives in San Diego now. But she still listens from time to time. Yeah, yeah. She's a good follow on Twitter if you're interested in uh, uh, positions like the Golden Arches. I mean, she, she was awesome. She's very um, open. Oh in, yeah, in her descriptions. So well, if, if you're faint of heart, I wouldn't. But uh, she's, yeah. she's written books. Uh, but the the position involves a woman, and I'll. This is. I'm not going to get graphic about Bill. Don't worry. Well, Bill's out of town. Bill's out of town. He's a no Wait a second. My Bill senses are tingling. It's like Spider-Man. Oh my Bill's out, you know. He feel, Yeah, he gets a tingle in, in some local store lecturing someone about the third leg of the stool. And so, you see, I deal with the third leg. Wait a second. Something's going on. Sex talk back in Philadelphia. <laughs> 
Anyway, but I'm not going to get graphic with this, but the position involves a woman sitting on top of her partner so that they have the best view of each other during their sex. Imagine this, uh, Kathy. Yeah. You sit, um, The man sits uh, sits upright right. with his legs straight out in front of him. Okay. She uh, sits on his lap facing him, but she's on her knees. You know what I mean? Right. Okay. okay. So there you go. That's okay. the, the way position. you do it. Yeah. That's the position. That's new. Apparently, well, that's that's what I'm saying. I, I don't, don't think it's no, new. I think there's a little bit more to it, Preston, if I may. Um, I think basically you're looking <laughs> you're looking as if you're almost playing like crab soccer. I don't um There's a woman leaning back. Well, eventually she can lean back. Yes, okay. that's what this gets into. But the but the basic position is you're sitting up, uh guy sitting yeah. up legs straight out on the bed, and she is on her lap, uh on your lap facing you uh on her knees. And now where <laughs> am I sitting when I film it? And she can <laughs> lean back. Yeah, because at some point she's got to go. be in an arch position, yes. correct? Yes, exactly. That's it right there. So anyhow, uh, Annabelle said that this head-to-toe position is a great way to have a full view of each other's bodies. Uh, she says he needs to sit with his legs straight, and then she just sits on top of him with her knees bent over his thighs. Uh, she has to lean back and then let the pleasure commence I, I by do... lifting her ankles. So do, would you do the golden arches? I know you and I are fans of the Arby's <laughs> with the, <laughs> the horsey sauce. Uh, yes. A lot, of, a lot of meat. <laughs> Plenty of horsey sauce. Uh, cup, it says couples can keep eye contact in this position, meaning it is very intimate. Stop looking at me. And can help women uh, who find it a challenge to get to that next level. Ma, she's looking at me. <laughs> Annabelle advises that you can lean back slightly to increase stimulation, and couples can also explore each other's bodies I, for added pleasure. I want to explore your body. Yeah. I love you. <laughs> I think what this position does, uh, and again, to be as, as delicate as possible, it makes things link up properly so that certain spots are hit more comprehensively. I guess so. Did I hit that right? I think so. Okay. I think it might be. And that's the uh, that's the charm of this spot. Now, the Burger King is a, an entirely different thing. Yes. Here's a great uh, comment from somebody that says, doesn't work for fat people. Hmm. Okay. Sure? Probably not. No, it would be a little, if you have a large belly, it might get in the way. Gets in the way. Yeah. If you I get out to sickness about, climbing up your stomach, yes. Uh, if we're going to talk about just physically <laughs> being able to do certain things, it might be a little bit of an issue. Steve, what is the Burger King? Is that meat in between two buns? Or? Have it your way. <laughs> okay. It's really, it requires you and a hooker. All right, so uh, Jared Leto was wearing this shirt, and it had all these positions, and one was called the crab. Got, yeah. Yeah, this, you, this, you, it, you bang a crab. Oh. Ooh. <laughs> It's really painful. Can you describe it? Well, uh, no. It oh, just, it just said. It just, it just says, right? Here, okay. Here's the, uh, the oh, it says cowgirl, here. doggy face, 69 scissors, and the crab. Uh, Have you ever heard of the crab? I don't know. It sounds like it might be similar to this. Uh, to, it, it's, to, it's, it does, actually. To the Golden Arch. Because we talked about the crab soccer. Yeah. Um, I don't really know. Case we'll have to look that. Do you up. know, but you bring up a good point too, President. About people saying, you know, and, oh. and Norm Macdonald does a bit on it. I, I got a new position. No, you don't. No, you don't. No. You have to imagine all the people throughout time yeah. who have been having sex. Sure. It's all been done. Yep. Trying it a different way. Unless you're doing it on a new invention. Like maybe the first person who had sex in a Tesla. By the way, and this will speak to Kathy, make, <laughs> making your bed in the morning could lead to a better sex life. Yeah, it always I'll has bet to you be. make your bed every morning, yeah. don't you? Do yeah. you? You make your bed every morning? Oh, wait a minute. Dennis every, isn't up by then. Every day. She still yeah. makes it on top. <laughs> he wakes yeah. up with the blankets over him and the right. pillow on his face. Yeah. What the hell? <laughs> no, but the bed, yeah, I will. Uh, I also make Jace make his bed every morning. The beds have to be made, yeah. With, the beds have to be listen, made. Listen, if you don't have time to put the decorative pillows on, I'll let it slide. <laughs> oh, man. 
But uh, if I make if I make the bed, the decorative pillows go on. You would them. love my my room is very antiseptically clean now. I have to say, I have my little uh, my little vacuum cleaner, and if I had a <laughs> cup where I was drinking, I do. And if I had my little cup where I was drinking water, I make sure that it goes back down to the kitchen sink. Oh, oh God, I love you. Thank that's you. so sweet. Thank that's so nice. That's really good of you. Uh, I hate decorative pillows. <laughs> I, fi- I finally got rid of them. You they would they hate stayed my they room. stayed on my bed forever, and and I use my bed alone. It's my bedroom. It's my your Bed. Sleep in Hold different on, rooms. Okay, I, okay. And and so for the longest time the, the decorative pillows kept getting put on there. I'm like, these are stupid. I nobody ever comes in here but me. I don't care for them. They're just taking up space. And when I put them on the be- on the floor, they take up space there the too. Floor. So now I have I've uh systematically one at a time put them in the closet and now they're hidden away and they you, never come out. It's again. your room. It's my room. I, I have my room. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I have I've opted to not use decorative pillows and I replace them with Batman figures. I mm-hmm. have on my bed I have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, <laughs> nine, ten, eleven decorative pillows. <laughs> you know she she's like Shelly Long in cheers, Nick. Eleven. You remember the, the scene where, where, where uh, Sam Malone goes over to sleep with uh with her and yeah. and uh, he goes in and you, and he goes you see him walking out of the room with about fifty stuffed animals and pillows and he throws yeah. them out the window. Or along um, came Polly. Yeah, along yeah. came Polly. He yeah. actually yes, does he... the math on how much time <laughs> of his life has been wasted <laughs> yeah. by, by taking the time to put the pillows away and put them back on. And, and he's then like, he uses it doesn't make any sense. A knife to shred them, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Have, all right. So go ahead, Nick. I'm sorry. All right. uh, Casey, just uh, to answer your question about the shirt that Leto was wearing, it's a cover for one of their albums for Thirty Seconds to Mars. Oh. It's, it's called America's the name of the album and it has those sex positions written on it. Got okay. It. Uh, but Kath, doesn't that just add extra stress to your life? Or or is the, the... No, the unmade bed adds stress to my life. Okay. No, I'm kidding. I'm, I'm, I'm talking not about kidding. the decorative pillow part. No, no, it doesn't add... Why? No, I have like a little bench at the bottom of the bed and the decorative pillows <laughs> are neatly uh, stacked there neatly. at nighttime. I'm surprised you don't have a little, a little uh, um, like a, a trunk at the end of the bed where you can put the pillows in. Yeah, you know what? I know, but the thing is, is that 11 usually doesn't fit in the trunk. Mm. So I, I, I did the bench and they stack nicely on the bench. Okay. Right. I, I have to get it. I'm not so sure about that. At night, I have to get into a freshly made bed. So, say the on a rare occasion that the bed is not made, um, I will kind of I straighten the sheets out and you call a make, divorce lawyer. No, and almost <laughs> make the bed before I get into it. It's just like it's more comfy. I and it's neat. I never make my bed ever, ever. Does ever. your wife shut? the door to your bedroom or do you shut the door to your shut bedroom the door uh I, not that i ever you know she noticed. doesn't shut the door that's how he was busted uh, no, shut up no i know but i'm saying i'm wondering <laughs> if she like is like okay i i don't care but when she like for me if it wasn't made i would go by and just shut so the you door. don't have to look don't at it look here's at what it. i do and i honestly you guys know i sleep on top of the bed i sleep on top of the comforter with a blanket like a nice it has little elephants on it so you and don't actually make your bed. You just don't mess it up. I just don't mess it up. <laughs> okay. I tuck it in, though, if there are little little creases. And, and you would find a pristine bit of bedding. In the winter, if it starts <laughs> to get very, very, very cold, I, I just press it. You're like me. Even throughout the winter, I have I have the ceiling fan going. I, I fan. like oh, the always, circulation yeah. of air. I absolutely destroy my bed during the <laughs> night. I mean, with the, the you poop a lot. The pillows and the it's an absolute mess. The the uh, the the blankets are in a wad. Pillows are all over the place. By the time I'm done sleeping. What's the point of me making the bed? Because I'm just going to do it again. It's funny because I, I actually have to have the elephants facing the right way oh. when I sleep. <laughs> Jesus. I know it's so goddamn stupid, but Did I you do. force yourself to do it the other way? Just to, just to make you sleep, make you get It'd through it? It'd be hard. It'd be hard. All right. I, know, I, would, I would not be confident that the elephants were looking the correct way. Mm. 
Wait, can I? I want to answer that text. Uh, what right. is it? Which Do you one? Ask says, Kathy if she is a certain way that she stacks the pillow. Yes. Of course you do. Exact same way every single time. The most efficient way, way, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. The two big pillows and then the longer pillow in the middle because it's long enough. Hang on. Ah, ah, I mean, what am I, running a bed and breakfast? <laughs> this is him stabbing the pillows. Anymore. You know how many minutes a day I spend getting throw pillows on and off the bed? How many? Four minutes in the morning, four minutes at night. That's eight minutes of my life. I figured it out. It's 56 minutes a week. It's nearly two days of my life a year I spend putting pillows on and off a stupid bed. Uh, this poll uh, said from the Just Saying Institute uh, surveyed 2,000 Americans and found that 42% of those who make their beds said their partner makes them more likely to do so. And a third of people said it would be a turnoff if a potential partner didn't make their bed. They also found that those who make their bed have more sex per week than those who leave the bed unmade. Quick question, well, Kathy. Does Dennis make the bed when he gets out of it? He makes the bed, yeah. All right, well, there you go. All right, so he's on the same page. And that means there's a lot of uh, of uh, golden arches going on there. I guess so. Yeah. I guess that happens. <laughs> uh, speak, by the way, speaking of uh, the bed and sleeping, uh, two-thirds of millennials report sleeping naked uh, by a poll that was done by MattressAdvisor.com. They're a mattress review site. Do you sleep naked? Do you porky pig it? Do you sleep bottoms? Uh, underwear. Underwear. Just underwear. Underpants. Yep. I go yeah, back and forth. Yeah. If, if, I, if it's like warm out and uh, especially if like I've just taken a shower, I'll sleep naked. But I think most comfortably uh, boxers, underwear. I you think know. for me, it's a leisure suit. Okay. I think it just is the <laughs> most comfortable way. Because it's leisure. You're sleeping. Sure. Yeah. As I, long as there's no socks on. I cannot sleep with socks on. Oh, no. Who can? Some more Psychopaths. Yeah, psychopaths. Uh, I don't. Uh, I, I think if I, maybe if I didn't have kids. Maybe I would sleep in a nude. Did um, you in college? Um, no, no. I like <laughs> college. I passed out most nights. So fully dressed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. no, shoes on, on the way back to the dorm. Yeah. You're lucky if you make it to the bed. Uh, yeah. No, in, in fact, in, in the bushes. My entire senior year. No. Either way, junior and senior year, I basically slept on the couch every single night. Yeah. Wow. Sounds I, about right. The holding yeah. tank. Yeah. The holding tank. Uh, uh, so I usually do. Um, Underwear and either a shirt or not. Okay. I, my my friend's uh, father. My wore, shoes are right by the bed, though. And actually, my friend, yeah. when all growing up, uh, he. I mean, he had like old man nineteen fifties pajamas. You I was know, you, ask, you're biting down. Who does that? Yeah, and I also have a question about a nightcap because that was a <laughs> thing for a little while that people had little. You know, you know who I see wearing full pajamas for some reason. Bill, Bill, Bill West, yeah, yeah, no, Bill, Bill Burns. Burns. Oh, yeah. Bill Burns! Yeah. I see Bill Burns yeah, in full-on striped. Is uh, he gonna tuck me in? <laughs> Bill is a, a Bill Weston. Uh, well, yeah, well, Bill Burns maybe could be a uh, a full yeah. flannel. Bill Burns, jammies. Uh, one of our sales managers. Yeah, he's 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 a button-down guy. He's, mm-hmm. But I I uh, I could see that pajamas. Yeah, uh, my dad was a uh, he was a uh, bathrobe guy, right? So he'd get up in the morning. And he would go downstairs. He made all our all, all of our lunches all through grade school and high school. And he was there. And he had this old ass robe that he wore all oh, the that time. Was my my yeah. dad was robe and strap on. Yeah, it, a strap on. It was wow. his thing. <laughs> uh, if we didn't go to work as early as we do and had a little bit more time, mm-hmm. I'd probably do the bathrobe thing. You'd be a bathrobe guy. So comfortable. Yeah, I know. You, you know, know it's, it's too comfortable. It's a leisurely way to get up in the morning. It's it's too com- like it, it to me. It, it's it's too much of an indu- uh, an inducement to stay 
in bed and hang out. No, nah, I'd go out on the veranda and enjoy a cup of coffee. <laughs> but first, <laughs> we have to build a veranda. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm texting Bill Burns right now to see if he, see wears, he wears pajamas. Bet you, he wears, you know, bet though, you see, guy. when you get pajamas for Christmas, pajamas. Um, pajamas. <laughs> 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 I'll dry clean your pajamas. It's That's uh, the movie. But yeah, so they're comfortable. It's just hanging around the house. But sleeping in them, I would find it too restrictive. Uh, yeah, I, I'm not. T- when I was a kid, warm. I did yeah. full on pajamas. Does it yeah. say why millennials they believe, or what a general consensus as to um, why that's the case? It said, let's see here. the uh, The project manager, Joe Mercurio, uh, I, I said, can actually guess something if I if I may. Yeah. Uh, the the I think houses have generally be the, the atmosphere and temperature in houses is is more. Is better maintained these days. Well, yeah, that's what the, the nightcap was made to keep right. you warm. Right. So, so the the the, a, the aspects of keeping you warm with this clothing is less necessary. Did you look that up, or did you just know that? Uh, I the nightcap I looked up. Oh, right. you did. Okay. Um, I, I don't worry. I'm not that smart. So, <laughs> I don't know things like so. That. This guy. Oh my God, Bill Burns hey! is here. Hey! Mr. Pajamas. <laughs> hey, Bill, I didn't even see you walk in. You've got you you've got me so wrong. Uh, really? No are, way. Pajamas? Are you, are you completely naked? Close. Okay, so what do you wear? Boxers. Okay. Boxers. No t-shirt, nothing. No. Right. Boxers. Just boxers. All right. No, See, boxers. I saw pajamas and a warm glass of <laughs> No, milk. absolutely not. What, what, am I, what am I, Calper? Yeah. <laughs> no. Oh, my God. No, Calper's just product. No, uh, Cal- Calper wears bikini briefs. Mm-hmm. Bikini something briefs. like that. Uh, I'm, I'm actually, I'm like, I don't want to get sick. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually almost insulted. I, listen, I'm sorry. You're just. I, I'm so you, wrong with that. You're a suit guy. I always see we, you that way. Yeah, you, don't, I, you don't like that I put my feet up on the table when we are. Uh, I'm, I'm getting over that. Okay, I'm, I'm, good, I'm good with that. The image is you that. with the big nightcap and, and one of those candles that's in the little holder. You know, as you go to bed with a yes. glass of milk. <laughs> does my wife make my? Does she warm my milk and then bring it right to the bedside exactly. for me well, too? She knows what's good for her. Exactly. She and her kerchief and I and hey, my. Right, yes. <laughs> that was him. Uh, so you just just boxers, just boxers. All right. Just All right, fair enough. All right, right. we misread you on that I'm one. I'm sorry about All that. Right. But Bill Weston, on the other hand. I wear an eye cap. Yes. Um, <laughs> so uh, th- let me get to this. Uh, your, your question here, Steve. So uh, he surveyed over 1,000 people across the country, uh, 58% of whom he said to sleep in the nude. Nude sleepers also report better sleep quality than pajama, pajama wearers. Not surprisingly, men are more likely to sleep naked than women, though uh, more than half of women still report sleeping without any clothes. Only 39% of boomers which would be of Me. our age range, yeah. your age range, Steve. Yes, I'm sorry. Uh, the 39% of boomers sleep in the buff compared with nearly 65% of millennials, the survey found. Uh, relationships seem to relax people's sleeping habits with 72% of nude sleepers reported being in a relationship compared to only half of single people. See, I would think single people would sleep naked more often. Yeah, why not? Uh, more than half of people who sleep nude report that their partner does as well. All right, do you go to the bathroom in your bed? No. <laughs> All right, move on. Yeah, no. yeah. You know what's nice? If, if you go to bed naked and your partner goes to bed naked, there is that off chance that that will lead to morning sex. Sure. You know, and yeah. like this, if everybody morning is in the morning or M O U R N I N. No, oh, with no, me, no, it's no. always the second. Yeah. <laughs> Why are we doing this? Why, Why are we doing this? I regret everything. All right, so, so, so here we go. Hold on. For, right. for those who prefer pajamas, their reason. 
uh, range uh, from staying warm to anxiety about being seen to just that's how I was raised. Okay. Nearly 70% of respondents who sleep naked said they do so because they're more comfortable without clothes. About 58% said nude sleeping was relaxing, and 54% said that it improves their sleep. So it's kind of vague, Steve. Yeah. Just like, ah, just like it that way. Just a percentage. is no rhyme or reason to it. Yeah. Uh, you wanted me to go to line two, Case? Yes. All right. Let me get Cheryl on the line. Hi, Cheryl. Good morning. Hi. Good morning. How are you guys? Great. What's up, Cheryl? Well, married 37 years. My husband's a big man, you know, up 235. All right. At least. That's old. Even in the... No, no. <laughs> oh, wait. I'm sorry. Of course. Why did I even think that? <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, even in the summer when it's hot, he's in full pajamas. Full, heavy, white undershirt under the top and boxers. It's almost like a suit. Well, is he just, is he typically more chilly than other people that you find, you know, and and needs to to be warm? No. I would tell you he's a big, warm man. His hands are warm. He's like an inferno. Okay. I do not understand it. I'm in like a little teeny sleepy and nothing else, you know, a a, a strappy little nightgown. Yeah, strap on nightgown. I want to have sex. Me, he is wrapped up. I don't know what it is. You, you're the antithesis of most couples I know. It's usually the the the, the woman yeah. who is bundled up like crazy, yeah, and um, the the guy who's the opposite. Now, press you oh. you Thank wear you, Cheryl. You like to put on. You have a whole bunch of pajama bottoms, right? Yes. What do you call? I mean, is that is that what they're called? Yeah, I call them pajama bottoms, yeah. or, or you know, yeah. Just jammies or whatever. Yeah, Jam, second, jams, jammy bottoms. The second you get home from work, you put those on. I, I sometimes. You not, used to be like. I, I used to. Okay. Like, I'd walk in the door. I was like the, the Goldberg. Yes. <laughs> I'd drop my drawers. <laughs> but, I would, but I would put pajama pants on. Uh, but I don't do that as much anymore. But that is my, I'm not going anywhere for the rest of the day attire. If I find that uh, that I'm done with whatever I need to do and I'm not leaving the house, it happens to be like 2 o'clock in the afternoon, those mm. things are coming on, man. Do you know what I do? I come home and the pair of shorts that I'm wearing, I almost always have an identical pair of shorts, and I will switch into those because I have my home shorts. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I got you. That I can go do dusty things with, like change cat litter, All not right. my formal right. shorts. <laughs> right, your work shorts. <laughs> yeah, my work shorts where I'm trying to put a good image out there. Right. Let me ask the other men in the room your collective opinion on slippers. Mm-hmm. I uh, <laughs> Just in the in the winter, but not to walk around the house. Uh, they are, if I need to run outside real quick, if I got to take, forgot to take the, uh, the trash out. Or Why not around to, the house? Because uh, I'm... I don't need shoes on while I'm in the house. Do you guys know. go to the bathroom in your slippers? Uh, I don't wear slippers oh, in the I, house. I poop in oh, my slippers. In the yeah, slipper. Yeah. I no. would, I'll tell you this. <laughs> I, I to me, I will wear I will wear a more uh, worn down pair of sneakers or whatever in the house. Yeah, I, mean. I Nick, because I have uh, bad feet, I like to have slippers that have a um, a support, a, an arch. Not, not necessarily just pillows, just so so it's a, a softer. Sort of, yeah, yeah. So I have my Homer Simpson slippers. When you home. take your elevator chair up the stairs to your sit-in <laughs> shower, yeah, yeah. <laughs> do you let shower. your first alert medallion hang out of it so that it doesn't short out in the water? Uh, Nick, I take it you're a slippers guy. Well, I like slippers in the house as my indoor shoes. So you, like you're, I, you're very uh, Asian, though. You're very Japanese. You wash your feet when you come home. I am very Asian. <laughs> and and well, you, you have house slippers, basically? I have house slippers, Like, like yeah. moccasins almost? Moccasins. Or, okay. Yeah, and I, uh, L.L. Bean, and uh, when I... Uh, you have a I don't have no, but I'd love one. 
I when I uh, I look forward to slipper season, like when because you can't really wear them in the summer because that's uh, insane. Because yeah. your feet would uh, sweat too much. But like in the fall through, um, you know, the spring um, when it starts to get warm again, those are the months where it's cold out. I, just, uh, I enjoy the slippers. I just kind of walk around in socks and mm, in the house. That's not enough for me. Okay, I ain't walk I mean, around I in socks. cleats. Walk around in cleats. <laughs> Golf I, shoes. I just old, like the sound. The old stiff spikes. The old metal spike shoes. Cleats will absolutely uh, ruin your wood floor. I've I noticed. Learned, I learned that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, I got it. Yeah, let yeah, me go right? to this. I'm going to go to Bill. Uh, Bill, you are on the air. Good morning. <laughs> no. <laughs> What's up, Bill? All right, so you guys talking about uh, sleeping in the nude, sleeping in PJs. Yeah. I, believe it or not, am most comfortable wearing jeans and a T-shirt. To bed. To bed. Huh. How Do you do that every night? Every single night. Is that a fight or flight kind of thing that you're ready, uh, as a, you know, you're, you you want to be ready to... There's a deer in the house. Yeah, a deer yeah. in the house. That's why I keep my shoes on. Yeah, I keep shoes on. I shotgun for that one. Yeah, so what 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 is that is that a psychological thing or yeah, care I, to I guess? Just feel comfortable. All right. Well, there. Uh, thanks, Bill. There are some. There's something to some people like that um, sheathed. Yeah, that that kind of. Uh, I forgot. Um, uh, labia constricted. Not labia. Swaddled. I'm sorry, I was reaching. The swaddling. Swaddling. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. To be yeah. swaddled. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That but jeans. Of, uh, yeah. That's what I mean. Baby Jesus wore jeans. Yeah. <laughs> I think. Yeah. You know, like me and my friends, we like to play sand volleyball in our jeans. But uh, yeah, that's at, at the Top Gun Flight School. Yeah. Let me go to Jeff. Hi, Jeff. You're on the air. Good morning. Hey, sorry to bother you guys at work. <laughs> it's okay, right, buddy. What's up? Hey, uh, I have a friend of mine used to sleep naked until his house caught on fire. <laughs> yeah. And what happened? Well, he ended up, I mean, he had to get out. So he's standing out in his front yard, butt naked, watching his house burn <sighs> and the fire company coming on his way. Wow. And how yeah. long was he standing out there totally naked until somebody gave him something to cover him up? Well, I guess once the fire department got there, they got him a blanket and got him covered up. No neighbor could provide something until the fire department. (laughs) That's a bit of an extreme reason as to why a shooter should not sleep naked. Well, you know, what if your house sets on fire or perhaps a deer on fire wanders into your house? (laughs) I would maybe grab the blanket I was sleeping with. No, (laughs) can't do that. (laughs) That's for the bed, Casey. (laughs) Well, apparently two-thirds of uh, millennials are sleeping totally naked. So the majority of them in this particular survey. Uh, So interesting. So what you're saying is easy pickings. Easy pickings, man. All right, we got to take a break. Be back in just a moment. Stay with us. MMR spotlights the best rock in Philadelphia with Jackson's Local Shots. This month's band is Domini. Domini, your Local Shots Artist of the Month for July. Check them out every Wednesday at 6.30 right here on the Mighty MMR. And you can hear and see more now at WMMR.com. Keyword, Local Shots. Sponsored by Family and Company Jewelers. Find a band that rocks her world at Family. 93.3 WMMR. Everything that rocks. Philly. We're ready to welcome our next guest. Let's do it. I'm very, very happy to do this. Uh, I saw the trailer for this movie uh, a week or two ago. I immediately went to you guys. I'm like, have you seen this yet? <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, and we're pretty excited about the fact that there's a screening tonight with our next guest, who I believe we've had here before. We, we have early on in the career. It was yeah. actually at the, uh, the uh, another location. Uh, we're talking about the film Upgrade, and we'd like to welcome the writer and director of said film, Mr. Lee Wanell. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
song called Lee. So. Welcome Thanks back. Thanks for having me. Of course. After all these years. Yes. I, th- yeah. I think it was for it was you and James on in the studio for Saw, I believe yeah, it was. Yeah, it was yeah. the first Saw film. We didn't know what we were doing um, in any regard, in any aspect of our lives. <laughs> <laughs> so that was fun. I was a lot younger then, and I remember on that press tour, I wasn't sleeping a lot. Yeah. Uh, there, was a lot of, there was a lot of alcohol involved. Now was I'm there? too old for that. You'd be doing this... I'd be doing this interview from the hospital if I was <laughs> that pace? acting like I did back then on this tour. Yeah. But you, you guys, look at look at you. Look at what's happened over the years. It's, it's, it's James is directing uh, the he just did the Aquaman movie, I believe. Yeah, he did. He did uh, Fast, Fast and Furious, Furious Conjuring. Like, yeah, you guys with Insidious together. You've written in, this is your second directorial effort. Insidious Three was your first. Yep, an upgrade which looks. Phenomenal, and to me and to all of us, it has the 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 feel of the 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 joy uh, when we first saw RoboCop or, or the original Terminator or that kind yeah. of you know pr- sort of practical effects, but uh, yeah, enhanced enhanced people. Those were my influences, though. Oh, were they? All those films that I grew up with in the uh, <clears throat> in the eighties. Do you guys remember the eighties? Yes, we do. Oh, Barely. Yeah. If you remember them, you went there. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I, my local video store was my church, and I used to go there and rent the Terminator, RoboCop, Scanners, the Thing, all these sort of practical effects driven stuff. And I wanted I wanted to um, use those films as an inspiration for this one because I was making a sci fi film that was not a big budget sci fi film. You know, it didn't have a huge amount of money to play with. Those can be those can be because of the constraints the best because they foster a creativity that I like I like to mix listen, we live in a CGI world, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> but I love the mix of practical with um with CGI. I love I love the blend of both because Absolutely. to me it just it's more interesting to watch. Yeah, I mean it's it's a great tool. Um it's it's like you can use it to augment things that aren't there, but yeah. it shouldn't be the only tool. You know what I'm saying? Like, well, like in, in the movies, for example, Starship Troopers, the movie uses CGI effects for the monsters, but the ships are all real. Yeah. And they, they look cool. So in, in this case, in this, you have um, what's it, Logan Marshall Green yep. is, is the actor, and he's who we remember from Prometheus, uh, and yep. uh, a, a very solid actor. He, he's a quadriplegic. His wife gets killed. Mm-hmm. And it's also another one of my favorite genres of films, revenge film. Yeah. Right. So it, it incorporates all those things. Yeah, but I kind of wanted to make a classic revenge action film, but wrap it up in this sci-fi story, you know? Which is cool. And there, as I was just talking to uh, our, our video guy, uh, Nick, here about it. Uh, Logan appears to, um, in the movie, he, he gets this enhancement as a quadriplegic that sort of controls his body. And right. he's almost a passenger in his own body, correct? Yeah, there is there is a moment in the movie. I, I'm not spoiling anything because it's in the trailer, but mm-hmm. um, somebody is um, beating the dude out of yeah, him, yeah. and uh, he, uh, <laughs> he stem, which is the name of the computer chip that's in his neck that controls his body, is like, you know, can I take over? Right, and he's like, <laughs> sure. As this guy chucks him, and then stem just comes online and sort of um, because this computer chip controls everything from the neck down, it can make him. Invis- well, he's just sitting he knows there. kung fu. All yeah, and all of a sudden he's like just watching himself do all these things that he can't believe he's doing. So it's kind of um, it's how did you how did you direct how did you instruct him to get to that physicality? Because I remember like with with the, the uh, Peter Weller who who played uh, right. uh, Robocop, he had to there was he went to and mimes taught him stuff. But here he's got to look as if he's like responding to his own body, but it's yeah. not his body. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, he he was amazing. And that was the first thing I told him when I spoke to him on the phone for the first time is uh, I said, I want your head to be doing something different than your body right. in certain sections of this movie. And he was so up for it. And uh, so basically how he achieved it is Logan really did a lot of training. He would send me all these videos of him moving and... I would send him my thoughts and say, you know, less robot dancing, more just <laughs> move with the fluidity and grace of a ballet dancer. Right. Uh, so he was doing that. And then um, at, right at the end before we shot the film, the, the cinematographer said to me, you know, I did this music video last year where we locked the camera to the actor. We strapped an iPhone under their clothes to their body so that wherever they moved, the camera goes with them. Kind of oh. gives you this interesting kind of... Uh, effect where the the actor is the center of gravity at all times. Yeah, so yeah. Wherever the actor goes, the camera goes. That's cool. Yeah, and I was like, oh, this looks awesome. Let's try it. And so we used that for a lot of the action scenes in the film, and it kind of contributes to this computerized robotic feeling. Now, it's taking place, uh, appears to be a bit in the future. Yeah, it's, it's not too far in the future. It's like, you know, 15 years from now. So some of the people he's coming up against also have enhancements of their own. Yeah, exactly. So it's, 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 it's a world... I mean, we're sort of heading down this path anyway. Yeah. I mean, I remember when I wrote the first draft of this film, automated cars were still science fiction. Yeah. And now, in the in the years that it's taken to develop this movie and get it made, that's just become a thing now. Did, did you see the video of the, the latest Boston Dynamics robot? That oh, is, yeah, that's terrifying. It is. Thank you. Yeah, exactly. It's, it, 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 I, anyone who's a fan of sci-fi, I, if you're not terrified by that, but, you know, that's where we're going. I keep waiting for that moment when my daughter thinks it's perfectly normal to walk into the kitchen in the morning and be like, Alexa, play the Frozen soundtrack. Uh-huh. She just thinks it's normal that this voice is like, playing the Frozen soundtrack. Yeah. But I keep waiting for that moment where it's just, Alexa just flips and is like, all humans must die. Right. <laughs> By the way, speaking of Alexa, did you know that, like, she takes a log of everything that you ask her? And if you go to your app, you can actually go back see? in time and see everything that you've oh, yeah. ever asked her, which... For me, is hilarious because uh, my mom lives with me now. And... So you can see what your mom's in. Oh, wait, wait, wait. God, Does your so... mom live with you, or do you live with your? No, mom? no, my mom lives with me <laughs> okay. and my family. Okay. Yeah, it's different, yeah. so it's more acceptable. But she's, you know, seven year old woman, and she the, the things that she has to ask her. <laughs> That's and, so funny. And you know, just sitting in the kitchen, she didn't realize that she had to like say her name every time she needed a command. So she'd be like, "Shut up, Stop. <laughs> shut up." Well, you know, I don't know what I said to alert Alexa, but she laughed when we we were all in my kitchen and we were laughing. That's and terrifying. I, and I, I thought, oh my god, somebody came through my back door and turned around and realized it was her. I, I read about this. So you're you're an actual living case of because I read about this online that Alexa was just laughing. It'd be three o'clock in the yes. morning, and Alexa's like. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. You're like, that's not scary. Not at all. <laughs> it, it was, it's an anomalous thing that even Amazon had to do a little digging to find out why it was happening. I think it's some, like, sort of pranky coda somewhere. It's it's yeah. like, this will really mess them up. Because but, we, we were laughing. So she was laughing with us. Oh, my God. Yeah. But that's, yeah, that's this that's speaks to that. Judgment speaks. Day begins. <laughs> and, and Skynet and the whole yeah, thing. Skynet's on, just going online. Just gone online. But, but this, this speaks to that. Now, our, our inherent fascination with... Can we enhance ourselves? Preston was pointing, you know, talking about the line that Jeff Goldblum has in Jurassic Park, which is yeah, you th- uh, you worried about whether or not you could, you didn't think, or yeah, whether or not you should. Yeah, yeah. I, I, that line always reminds me of um, Patton Oswalt, the comedian, has this routine where he's like, he's like, uh, we just made cancer airborne and contagious. You're welcome. We're science. Yeah. <laughs> well, like More you. concerned with coulda instead yeah. of shoulda. Yeah, and yeah, I, yeah. Think, I think that is the case with humans, where so often. 
the architects of our own destruction. We're like, I just built this thing that blows up and takes out an entire city. That'd be good to have around. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and so I, I'm wondering where this whole road is going of um, delegating everything to computers. Like, well, computers can drive my car for me and they can run my kitchen. And they can love my kids. Like, where does it... Right. Well, you know, well does it to go? that point, that's why you had people like... Um, I'm having a, a brain fart. A Tesla. Um, uh, Elon Musk. Elon Musk. Uh, Elon Musk is not a tremendous... Fa- even though the automated cars are the, 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 the... You know, he's responsible for a tremendous advance in that. He's he's very leery of AI, as was uh, Stephen Hawking yeah. and, 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 and this deal, because of what eventually it could be. I don't know if you're a fan of the series uh, Black uh, Mirror, yep, yep. but there was a, a metalhead, I think it, um, yeah. I think it was called, uh, but it, it realizes a world in which it does get away from us. And, I mean, that is a that is a stone-cold chilling I know, It's weird because, you know, Elon Musk, he, he's been saying, like, you know, the biggest threat to humanity is AI, you know, bigger threat than North Korea, et cetera. And at first you're like, oh, come on, what movie? Have you, been, have you been watching? And then you're like, wait, that's Elon Musk. He's, <laughs> yeah. a, pretty, he's a pretty smart guy. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah. he knows some things we don't. Yeah. So maybe we should be more worried about it if he is. Yeah, to that end, though, I, I watched this TED Talk yesterday, and the, the guy that was speaking said, you know, if uh, every insect on the planet died, within 50 years, all life on the planet would cease to exist. If every human on the planet died, all life would re- return to the planet and flourish, right? So there's this would no... Thrive. Would thrive, right? <laughs> every other uh, life form would fly, thrive on the Not planet. Not a fan of that arrangement. <laughs> but but it's probably accurate. Yeah. However, what humanity has going for it is imagination and creativity. And and yeah. so to that end, there are there are stories like yours that can be told. And and I think that there therein lies the beauty of, um, of what you do. Yeah, with, uh, I always love that line from The Matrix, the Hugo Weaving character is like... The, he says that machines figured out that humans were the cancer on the planet. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. With that's, that Mr. Anderson. <laughs> that's my best Hugo Weaving in the Matrix. It's very good. Sentence. It's very okay. good. Sorry. Uh, you, were in, you were in the... You had a bit part in the original Matrix or Matrix uh, It Reloaded. was the sequel. Okay. It was the second one, which I was very excited about. Um, uh, yeah, and I, I got two lines, which was cut down to one. Um, <laughs> I was shattered. <laughs> they actually spelled my name wrong in the credits, which Damn. was very... Yeah. I was like, they, they, they never cared. They didn't care at all. What was your line? in the movie uh it was how much time the guy i was now like guys come on in terms of delivery of that line that's, that's awesome. one of the better deliveries it's, it's, of that yeah. line. oscar caliber the guy i was with his response was 12 minutes so it was wonderful wow. Wow. you delivered both lines <laughs> quite well yeah you know i could have played that role but what line know, did they cut out i think they <laughs> they cut out they cut out incoming <laughs> and I remember the uh, the American dialogue coach because it was shot in Australia with all these Australian Australian actors doing American accents and they had this sort of American for hire on set who would correct you on your R's and she said um, you know Americans don't say incoming we put the emphasis on in and I was like no you're wrong no, I've seen you... enough movies I know more than you do American person you were right no we do not but th- th- we, we, some people who say says... insurance but they won't say incoming like if you yeah, if you're out in the war zone and the grenade's coming towards you, you're not saying, incoming, guys, incoming. No, that's not going to get the message across to Sergeant yeah. Stevenson. <laughs> exactly. Incoming! That's well, that, how you say it. That's why you do what you do. What was When you when you and uh, uh, James Wan started working together, was that as a reaction to sort of, you know, as you as an actor trying to get a leg up, you just we we'll just create our own stuff. Pretty much, that was exactly it. He was he wanted to be a director, and <laughs> quickly found out after film school that people don't go around handing checks to film directors. Yeah, yeah. And we just were so frustrated that we. And this is the advice I always give aspiring filmmakers when they're like, "Oh, do you have any advice?" I say, "Just make your own stuff. Just get a camera, get some friends, and and make stuff." Yeah. You know? Well, how much did Saw cost? 
Well, they the producers tried to tell us at the time it was a million dollars, but um, looking back, I think it was about twenty eight dollars. Yeah. Uh, it does look it is, but it's a perfect movie for right. for for. A, uh, those and I always say, you know, we we talk, Frank Grillo's a friend of the show, and and the Purge movies, high concept, low cost. If it hits, as Saw hit, yeah, you're the darling. And the horror genre is really um, perfect, friendly to towards low budgets. Yeah, yeah. Um, audiences, anyone? Yeah. Well, did you? I'm sorry because I want to stay on Saw for a second. Yeah, that could be. It could be a stage production. Yeah, it could. I mean, it's two guys chained up in a toilet, basically. Yeah, yeah. Right? So I, I think the Broadway version of Saw is a good idea. In fact, this With is the Nathan first time Lane. it's been floated. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Nathan, Nathan Lane is Jigsaw. I want to see I want to see the actor that has to lie still on the floor for the entire production. I know. Like, I oh, know. Jesus, I really had to sneeze during that one. Well, <laughs> yeah, two ribs trying not to sneeze during that run. Actually, that could work. I mean, it, it, you know, you have a, certainly a, a level of gore that you have to achieve. Yeah, know? I mean, although it can... I saw this play years ago called The Lieutenant of Inishmore. It was written by the guy who directed um, Three Billboards outside okay. Edmund, Missouri, oh, okay. Martin yeah. McDonough. And he's this great Irish playwright, but this play is so bloody and violent. It was at, at the intermission, half the audience just left. So it is possible. Okay, all right. <laughs> so so with, with this film, and the reaction has been great. Actually, I was reading what was the one review of it, and it's um, from one of the genre mags. says, uh, latest film upgrade is one of the most strikingly invigorated sci-fi uh, sci-fi watches. I have I've been awestruck by this film, and that has not happened in quite some times. And the reaction is is, is like that. For you, for your second film, writing and directing, um, is that is that a double-edged sword because it's awesome the reactions like that, but it always with what you do in your career, it's what's next. Yeah, well, I mean, you have to try to enjoy reactions like that because films take so long to make. That right. I, whenever I hear a, a filmmaker in an interview say, like, oh, I just ignore the reviews, I don't understand that because, you know, you're putting so much of yourself into the film. You want to know how right. the world feels about it. But that review was... I remember that one. It was particularly great. And I remember my dad, I flew him over to the, we premiered the film at South by Southwest. So I was like, Dad, you're coming to Texas. Flew him over from Australia. And I read him that review and he goes, oh, that's great. Must have taken you ages to write it. <laughs> and and uh, Which is just my dad's <laughs> sense of humor. But that was, the, that was one of the first reviews I read. And yeah, it's it's It's, it's what good. you want. So I, I don't want to kind of start thinking about what's next straight away. I want to kind of enjoy yeah. this movie. I mean, even just being here chatting to you guys, it's fun. It's it's fun to try to promote the movie, you know? Sure. If you're just jumping in, Lee 1L is here and uh, Upgrade is going to be in theaters. Speaking of writing, when you sit down uh, to create something original... Um, how do you make sure that somebody hasn't already done that and you don't know about it? There are so many people that write. Usually what happens is somebody will tell you. You'll get really excited about an idea and you'll pitch it to one of your friends and they'll say, yeah, I saw that movie last year. <laughs> <laughs> that was. Uh... You have to worry about that because I, I, know I read an interview with you and you talked about your ability to shut off your director-writer and just enjoy movies on their visceral level and go in and be a fan and be in the audience and watch a movie and Absolutely. enjoy it. But with that, and I think with anything, like Preston, you know, I mean, a musician or anything, have I heard this before? Yep. Yeah, I mean, it's got to be the same thing with music where somebody's like, oh, yeah, great riff. Her, I loved it back in 73 when... Uh, <laughs> right, yeah. Abba played it. Yeah, yeah. when Abba did it. And, and it's with, you know, the worst thing with movies is actually when you put all the work in 
and you're, you're shooting the film. So you, the train has left the station. You're right. doing it. And then you hear about a similar film coming out. Nobody wants to be on the set of Deep Impact when you find out Armageddon's coming out. It's like, <laughs> yeah. oh, Jesus. It's, it, it, it's, it, is, it has happened. In fact, one of the classic wow. stories is two movie studios. One was working on a, a movie called The Tower, and the other one was working on a, a movie called The Glass Inferno. And that 2075, the Warner Brothers said, well, let's just make a movie together. <laughs> is that true? They yeah, actually so just the, combined. The Towering Inferno is a combination of two movie projects. That, that is the only example I've ever heard of two Hollywood studios <laughs> being like, let's just be yeah, friends yeah, and yeah. work right, together. Right, Usually yeah. it's like, let's ruthlessly cut the knees out from this Glass Inferno movie. <laughs> let's all just costs. destroy it. And you remember back <laughs> yeah. in, the, in the 80s, Lee, like, uh, there was like a series of uh, body-switching movies, <laughs> oh, yeah. of young yeah. and old, yeah. and there were like four of them. And the last one that came out was big from Tom Hanks. And it was the most successful. And that's the only one. Like, nobody's walking around going, you know, that Vice Versa movie was really just love Judge Reinhold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It was was like big, big, that usually history, you know, history is written by the winners, right? So big big is the one that everybody talks about. And, uh, yeah, you know, it's like uh, not too many people are are walking around talking about ants. A bug's life was the victor victor in that Uh little battle. And ants had Seinfeld behind it, didn't it? No, that was the B movie. movie. Yeah, that's right. So nobody remembers that as well. Look at that. (laughs) Wait, was Fred Savage in the Judge Reinhold one? Yes. Yeah, Yeah, okay. He was. was. All right, yeah. yeah, And then there was a couple more. There was one with Dudley Moore Moore and Kirk Cameron. Oh, yeah, that was the Kirk Cameron one before he started his other movie career. Yeah. Lee, is it... You're on social media, obviously. You know, I'm, I'm looking at your Twitter account right now, and I'm wondering if that is uh, um, can be landmines when it comes to creativity. Because I'm sure people tweet stuff at you, mm-hmm. "Hey, I've got this great idea," and you you basically have to ignore it and not even acknowledge it, right? Yeah, absolutely. Like it can really get you in trouble, and um, it, 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 it it's actually a dangerous thing, especially now with social media, because everybody's making videos, putting them on YouTube, and the the sort of bandwidth for did you see that or not like the, if you wanted to present that case in court you could say hey I'm, I made a short film and this guy totally ripped it off and just ha- happened with Stranger Things oh really the, yeah it's, same thing and and now chronologically the I think the Duffer Brothers are the guys behind that or whatever yeah, they they were able to prove chronologically that they had submitted an idea that 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 was um, before this. somebody somebody said that somebody they ripped said, off their script yes yeah and and so it had to go to court it had to be litigated. But there's no, there's no. They, I think they it didn't make it all the way. But all I right. think, but but still, you, that presents a legal cost. Yeah, things. I mean, but I do actually say that sometimes if someone says on Twitter, like, "Can you read my script?" I'm like, it's a good way of saying I, I can't. I literally can't yeah, yeah. read your script just in case. It, it's it, it, it can be a, a, a bad deal. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So. Um, with obviously, you know the the insidious films, which are uh, which are great and uh, uh, continue to be so. Where. Does this franchise keep going and going and going? Because it is, uh, you know, the, of course, with always, I think the, the first couple are, are the best, you yep. know. Uh, we love uh, uh, Lynn Shea. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 in the studio. Hair. She's phenomenal. Yeah, she's awesome. And she's, she's really the reason, the reason they work. Yeah, she is. She, at this point, she's the glue that kind of holds that franchise together. I mean, it's interesting with, with sequels because I obviously wrote that first Saw movie and then the producers made like um, I think 32 more yeah. Saw movies <laughs> yes. and, uh, and and at some point the, the third one was the last one I was involved with and right. I was like you know I uh, guys I'm out um, I, I can't think of any more ways to kill someone with a coat hanger and uh, and so they kept going so it's a weird feeling because I don't actually own the copyright to Saw but the producers kept making that movies. That kind of stinks. So yeah, it was. Is it, it was, like watching uh, a fr- your, your Doctor Frankenstein and your monster is out, has left the the, the lab? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Left the, it's a weird feeling to be like driving down the street and see a billboard 
for something you created, but it's no longer yours. Yeah. Yours, yeah. it's it's gone. So, but I'm not I'm not um, ticked off about it because. I'm just happy to be making films at all. That's that's the very definition of a champagne yeah. problem. Like, can you believe they're making sequels to my hit film? Yeah. I mean, you think they've got a bad in Syria. So I, I, I definitely know to, to keep, sure. to keep yeah. my head in line with keep that stuff. Keep it in perspective, yeah. With the Insidious movies, I think I have a better relationship with Jason Blum in terms of he he would always come to me first and say, do you want to make another one? Yeah, yeah. I, I um, and this is no offense... I can't watch those movies. They, oh, yeah. they they terrify me too much. In in the horror world, that's a compliment. Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> Preston would be in that world as well. I am a, I'm ravenous for them. I love them, and I th- I think that 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 first in, Insidious, especially because the combination of you and 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 James, the the directing skill. Yeah. When you take things, I, I think it's one of the great <laughs> aspects of horror, and you stick them in, so you have a scene that's in broad daylight in a living room. Yeah. Which is one of the biggest scares in the movie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it's, in, it, 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 as, as with that Texas Chainsaw Massacre, with that first scene of Leatherface, it's in broad daylight, in a, in yeah. a, in a pleasant, breezy sort of yeah. afternoon. That just, t- that throws you on your, on your ass. And uh, so you're obviously a fan of that kind of... Oh, yeah. This I is mean, not a place where you encounter this. I, I think you always have to consider, okay, what haven't we seen before? So with that particular scare you're talking about, I was thinking let's do something in broad daylight so the audience won't be waiting for it. Yeah, you know? yeah. Because it's audiences these days, they're pretty savvy. They can sort of outthink you. So you have to um, be thinking five moves ahead like, right. to, to stop them from predicting what you're going to do. And as horror fans, we appreciate that effort. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I was in from the, like, I saw the trailer and I'm it, like, this is speaking to me. Badass, exactly yeah, right. It looks fantastic. Well, thanks for having me, guys. Absolutely. It's great to see you again and continue success, sir. We appreciate you coming by. Thank you. Lee Winnell, guys. Yeah. We'll take a break, come back in a second, and uh, we're going to have David Blaine on the show and adult film star Katie Morgan. You can stick around if you want to. There's more than one <laughs> sure. to. Well, we've got David Blaine, yes. <laughs> Just a moment, stay with us. Like what you hear? You can see it, too. Check out Preston and Steve's Daily Rush on Xfinity On Demand. Now. Back with more of the Preston and Steve Show podcast. Now. WMMR presents Kristen and Steve's Bizarre Final. The Beat File brought to you by Movies at the Man. Don't miss Pixar's Toy Story in concert at TD Pavilion at the Man this Saturday. Free parking, picnics are welcome. Mancenter.org. Stories? Yeah, I'll give you stories. Uh, We'll start with this one. A furious New York dunner. Lost his cool, grabbing a restaurant manager by the neck before slamming against a bar and then into an elderly woman after waiting more than an hour for his omelet. For an omelet? Yeah. What kind of omelet? That's a long time. They didn't indicate what kind. It might have been a, a Western omelet. Man, I don't know, Steve. Uh, you know, I'm sorry. No? I, that old woman's collateral damage. Uh, Nicholas Demetius flew into a rage while at the restaurant Boca East during brunch on Saturday afternoon, demanding a free meal because of slow service. And it was brunch, too. Demetius was arrested and charged with assault following the incident. 34-year-old manager made attempts to calm Demetius down. Who waited an hour and a half, it says here, for his omelet. That is ludicrous. That is I think dumb. at that point you just leave. Uh, when he spewed a homophobic slur at the man. Well, now he's not a good man. According to manager Joseph Verdi, he then allegedly grabbed the manager's neck, slammed him in against the bar. Verdi added that Demetrius, uh, who said he appeared to be drunk, oh. was a lot bigger than the manager. As the man, uh, as the manager followed Demetrius outside of the restaurant, he grabbed his neck and hurled him into an old woman who was standing on the street. 
A woman got up after being knocked down. Are you son of a bitch? And then she killed him. I'm gonna snap your goddamn neck. Uh, witnesses said <laughs> she left. Omelet eating food giant. Before the uh, police arrived at the scene, uh, he was arrested, charged with uh, uh, following the incident. What? With the following incident? No, following the incident. Following the incident. All right. Anyway. Emergency crews responded to a house fire in Idaho Friday night, expecting to find an elderly woman inside the home when they heard cries of help and fire. But after an extensive search, firefighters were only able to find two parrots, one of who happened to be the more verbal than the other. Hey, Mama! Uh, calls. I knew it was coming. Calls hey, about Mama! Calls about the two alarm blaze. Papa, we're looking for you. In rural Boise, came into the fire department around 9.30 p.m. Once the captain did his walk around, he could hear someone, something or someone inside yelling help, yelling, help, fire, help, fire. Crews went into the rescue mode. And, I am the god of help, fire. And uh, they called for backup, thinking that uh, the calls uh, for help were coming from an elderly female. When firefighters couldn't find anyone in the house, they started using their thermal imagery technology, which detected no people, but rather a parrot sitting on the table. Help, it's a fire. We're two birds in a fire. Come and help us, we're on fire. The female parrot was rescued along with a uh, quieter male parrot. Uh, The female parrot was given oxygen, by the way, of an adult oxygen mask, by the way. Male parrot. I am the god of hellfire, and I bring you fire. Uh, She immediately uh, perked up. My parrots are on fire. Not too pleased about this fire. I don't like fire, which is ironic, I know. Uh, she immediately perked up and uh, started to imitate the sounds of the sirens. No one was injured in the fire, uh, which fire! En- ended up uh, being contained to only one room in the house. But it's wild that a parrot would know the words help and fire to say in that particular situation. And Yes, and to yell them at the appropriate situation. Simply, yeah. to, First off, to know the words, and yeah. second off, to yell them at an appropriate situation. To, to use them in yeah. context, that's pretty impressive. So. They're very smart! <laughs> I am the god of hellfire, and my parents have an extensive vocabulary, and I bring you fire. My My parents can discern fire, and they know what a fire is, and they know the appropriate words to scream. These aren't some loser parents. Thank you. Very smart parents, man. All right. A Michigan tree trimmer and one of his employees set up a display featuring a Confederate flag and a pair of nooses, and they don't care about the neighbor complaints. Neighbors, It's our annual (laughs) lynch-a-thon. Neighbors complained about the display outside Robert uh, Tamanovich's home where he hung a noose from a tree and a Confederate flag printed with the slogan, It ain't come, or I ain't coming down. On a fence. I'm going to show them. After the complaints, a second noose was hung from a tree outside a second home that Tamanovich owns down the street and used for his business. It's what you call sweetheart nooses. Which is Robert's Discount Tree Service. Uh, uh, A neighbor said it's a tree that is easily climbable and he could climb that tree and hang himself. Uh, Tamanovich, because only a raging racist knows how to trim a proper tree. Tamanovich uh, fled inside his home when a reporter asked uh, him for comment, but one of his employees admitted to hanging the second noose in response to the neighbor complaints. He said, I love it. 
Uh, I love it. And he also has a Confederate flag on his uh, license plate, uh, work pickup truck. He said, screw him. Uh, the employee who declined to give his name said that he and his boss would not take down the flag or the Neighbors tell me that they don't want to care about them anyway. Don't play me any parties or anything. I don't care. I never like them at all. Put all I want on my truck. You can all go to hell. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to put up another noose and see if I care. So he, uh, you know, that's what it's like. Oh yeah, totally. Uh, and anyhow, he declined to give his name, and he said he and his boss would not take. Take. You want my name? You go read my goddamn mailbox, like everyone else is right there. He said that uh, they asked if he would take down the flag or nooses. He said, hell no. Hell no. We're going to put up more. We're going to put up another one. <laughs> <laughs> I'll make it look like the Civil War on my goddamn front lawn. You can get out of here. Tomanovich's wife. Take your dog, too. <laughs> <laughs> wife, Lindy, said the display was not intended to be, a ra- to be racist. She said, Robert has a friend that died in that way. Listen to this. Ro- Lindy said, Robert has a friend that died in that way, hanging himself, and that is in memory of his friend. Oh. Wow. That's actually beautiful, then. Isn't that, that beautiful? Uh, we, we, were, we were mistaken. We're way sorry. Off. Yeah. Uh, she claimed her husband's family is from I the. I accept your apology. <laughs> <laughs> She claimed that uh, the husband's family is from the South, and they simply no kidding. like the way the Confederate flag looks. Yeah. And uh, Lindy said maybe they got too much time on their hands talking about her neighbors. Look at this cross with the bed ends. It looks, looks like a swastika. She I said, like the way that looks. She said there's no crime in hanging a noose. Uh, police said the display did not likely break any laws since it does not appear the display was intended to target anyone in particular. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But they hope to mediate the dispute between the homeowners and their neighbors as well. It is the wrong way to approach uh, getting along with your neighbors. Isn't it, yeah. though? I don't want it. I don't want it. I don't like you people anyway. <laughs> they got a slip and slide. You ever bite me over? No. <laughs> I see you out there drinking your big bottles of soda across my yard. <laughs> you got more than enough soda for me, but you never invite me over. So A reference to Kathy. I'm putting the third news up. <laughs> that woman over there, she the one that got a mustache? <laughs> one hair. All right, and there you go. That's what I have in the bizarre file for you. All right, uh, we're, we're going to break. We're going to come back in a second. Stay right there. The free MMR app for your phone. You can stream us live, get on demand audio and video, and we can even send you alerts on really important stuff. Plus, it's Android Auto and Apple CarPlay compatible. The MMR app, making your smartphone a little dumber. 
trash business is a gold mine. 93.3 WMMR with Preston and Steve's Hollywood Trash. And it's brought to you by Movies at the Man. Don't miss Pixar's Toy Story in concert at TD Pavilion at the Man this Saturday. Free parking, picnics are welcome. Mancenter.org. What's going on this morning, Steve? Well, MTV reality star turned porn actress Farrah Abraham seen out on a romantic date with Rebel Wilson's former boyfriend, stuntman at Aiden Stay. Stay says Abraham is a perfect match for him because he's always wanted a woman with a walk-in rectum. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> Mystery swirling around 76-year-old New England Patriots owner Robert Kraft and his 36-year-old girlfriend, Ricky Noel, who just gave birth to a baby that's not his, even though they've been dating for five years. Kraft attempted to explain the weird situation to a group of paparazzi saying, quote, Ricky's legs open faster than a new Starbucks. <laughs> oh, my God. And finally, Fox is belatedly airing an O.J. Simpson interview he did years ago for that bizarre book he did called If I Did It, Confessions of a Killer, in which he says he, quote, hypothetically had an accomplice in the murders of Nicole Brown and Ronald Goldman. Said Simpson, quote, if I did it, which I didn't, but I know how I would have done it, but I didn't do it because I did, didn't do it. <laughs> what? And that's your holiday <laughs> All righty. Please welcome to the program this morning, Mr. Jay Leno. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. And I'm sorry I made that collect call. Apparently it blew up the studio. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's clearly what happened. Do collect calls even exist <laughs> yeah, anymore? I don't, know. I don't know if they still have collect calls. I think they do in prison. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yes. Yeah. We, we used to do the thing where it was long distance and the other person, you didn't want to pay for it. And you would call and say a collect call. And they would say, you have a collect call from, hey, mom, call me real quick. Yeah, all that stuff. So, uh, Jay, it's great to have you on the show. And uh, I have to just start right out by saying, I and I told Preston this this morning, I'm a huge fan of Jay Leno's Garage. Uh, okay. The series is great. And and uh, I was watching it. It seems that you have had, um, uh, you have a relationship with uh, Paul Walker's family. And I know you have Cody Walker. You had Cody Walker on the show. And right. there, there's a charity event coming up with that family. Is that correct? Well, that was, uh, yeah. You know, they called me uh, like a week and a half ago, so we just struggled. We couldn't get any of Paul's actual cars because even though he's been gone for a number of years, and I think it's five years, it's everything's tied up. And, you know, when you don't leave a will, or an, I don't know where he left the will, but anyway, it's all tied up in litigation. You right. can't touch the cars, you can't move the cars. So we wanted to get a car that was similar to the one he had, uh, the '93 uh, Toyota Supra. That was and, a, that is a, that is. A, I remember that car. It had a, a very cool spoiler on it, right? right, uh, right. And it was it was a sleek car. It was, uh, and so you you managed to get one. Yeah, we got one uh, from a company that imports them from. It's one of those Japanese domestic market only cars. Uh, so that was kind of fun. I, I really liked Paul. He was a nice guy. I had him on the show quite a bit, and. He was one of the few car guys that could really talk cars as opposed to, you know, faking it like <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we were, Preston and I were talking about it, and, and you, I mean, you're the real deal. It's not just simply a fascination in collecting cars. I know you have a formidable uh, collection, but you, you actually can, can get your hands dirty and do the, the maintenance work on a vehicle oh, as well. In yeah. fact, one of the greatest museums is right there in Philadelphia, the Fred Simeon's Museum. Uh, you know, he's got just amazing stuff. We it's just had an museum. just had an event there. It is, it is phenomenal what they have. But I I, I have to assume. So, what do you have? One hundred and eighty one cars yourself. What what is the total right now? Yeah, you sound like my wife. I'm, <laughs> no, honey, you, honey, you remember this one? It's just blue. What? No, I just painted it. It's not a different. No, no, just, I just painted it. No. 
So, so at that level, I have to say, because like with this collection, people are fascinated. Is is, is your collection viewable to the public at any point? Well, no, it, it, it used to be, but then the cops shut you down because you don't have the do not drink contents of battery signs and you know all this kind of stuff. I mean. To open to the public is like a nightmare. Is it? Just, okay, must drain all fluids. If anyone approaches the vehicle, there'll be no fluids in the car. Okay. Cars have fluids in them all the time. I mean, they should. They, I mean, you know. So it's so. Although it's not open to the public, we do do stuff for, you know, Make a Wish Foundation or veterans groups, and, you know, stuff like that. Right. Jay, how do you decide what car you're buying next? Okay, okay, that sounds like a first world problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really. Okay, right. wait, we're going to talk to Jay Leno about how do you, how do you decide? It must be so hard. <laughs> you know, as you buy this story, sometimes I had an old lady call me. I guess it's about three or four months ago. She, I knew she was well in her nineties because she said to me she was Marilyn Monroe's roommate before Marilyn got famous. Okay, uh-huh, so okay. that's got to be the forties. Yeah. And she lived in Beverly Hills, and she had this 1966 four-door Lincoln Continental convertible. Remember the TV show Entourage? Remember that? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. One of those. And, you know, she's the original owner, and I'm talking to her on the phone, and she says to me, she only drove it 1,000 miles a year, and she lived three miles from my house. So I go over to look at it, and she's showing me the car, and she told me she she bought every option except FM. Because <laughs> FM was new in '66, and she wasn't going to pay seventy-five dollars for something that's not going to be around in a couple of years. Right? Yeah, <laughs> no time for FM. Right? Exactly. Uh, so it's, it's still on the AM. So, um, and you know, it's it's like a brand new car. I mean, it's got a couple little supermarket dings in the door, but it, it looks like a car that's five years old, not sixty years old. Wow. So I, I I just had to buy it because I love the story. You know. So, okay. so with the stories and with with the with the, the cars and so on and so forth, what, what advice? Oh, so, okay, so maybe we don't have the the Jay Leno um, uh, buying a capability, but to someone who no, is, no, but see, that's the thing. It's not a matter of buying expensive cars. I mean, right? I bought a Corvair for six hundred bucks. I put thirty grand in it. It's now worth twelve five. That's better than the stock market. <laughs> no, and which your, your, your first? I, I love how you got into cars because I think it's something that. Probably doesn't exist that much unless you know in, in rural areas. You found like a like a junker, an abandoned car, and sort of piecemealed it back together. Correct when you were well, a kid. When we were kids, we were about eleven or twelve, and we found an old Renault Four CV that somebody had abandoned, and we got it running, and we would drive it around the backyard and. You know, my mom would look through the kitchen window to make sure we didn't kill each other. Because now they call child service and the parents would be taken away and you'd live in foster care. But back then, it was like, oh, okay, don't kill yourselves. Just be careful. You know, we practice with the car and, you know. Oh, we did, we, we did the same with the motorcycle. It's, you know, the, the, the same thing. My mom was like, ah, oh, well, you got that motorcycle out there. And, uh, you, you know, you could have died a thousand times, but you didn't. Well, I'll, I'll tell you something how much it's changed. I grew up in a rural area. When I was in high school, the kids went to the hardware store, some friends of mine, and bought half a crate of dynamite <laughs> and, said, what? And, and said that they were going to blow up tree stumps. Uh, so sure. they bought... They bought, they bought they bought half sticks of dynamite and we drove around blowing up mailboxes. <laughs> you could and buy the, dynamite. And then the cops pulled us up and said, "All right, give us a dynamite." Like, I just, <laughs> oh, your kids there with your dynamite. <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, times times have changed. Yeah, that is crazy. Just, 
can't really buy half sticks of dynamite. <laughs> no, you can't. Uh, Jay, I watch uh, Jeopardy pretty much every night, and I love seeing you pop up. It seems like it's once a week that you're on the show with uh, car, uh, you know, categories usually about cars. How often do you tape those? And, and, uh, do well, you, you know, some, they, they came up one day and said, we could tape a whole bunch of stuff. The I said, yeah, okay, we'll ask you different questions. So you, you kind of do it all in like two hours, and then they drop it in throughout the year sometimes. Yeah, it's great, and it's got to be fun for you to do stuff like that. You can just kind of do it whenever you want, if you want. You know something? I'm dyslexic, so I can't watch Jeopardy. I go, wait, <laughs> the question, you know what I mean? Because I turn everything, what, what, I, I, I just can't do it. I just, what, wait, it's the, okay, no, okay, yeah, that, that's pretty much me watching Jeopardy. Right. But it's, I'd rather be a, an answer than a question. Uh, you know, just doing some reading uh, up on you before having you on the show today, and you, you had your uh, your your book uh, leading with my chin, talking about your uh, you know the early days in show business. And I was reminded of a story that I heard, and I don't know if this is apocryphal or not, and if it actually happened. But when you were starting in comedy, is it true you would routinely check like um, for open houses, go into the house and sort of live? Well, no, what, well, actually, first of all, you're the first radio host to use the word. Apocryphal. <laughs> I think a lot of listeners go, get, honey, get the dictionary. <laughs> um, no, when I first got to L.A., I didn't have any place to live. Uh, you know, I just got in the plane and went there because I was living in Boston. And I said to myself, you know, if I stay here in Boston, I'm going to want to get a nice place and a car. And I said, if I don't leave right now, I'm never going to. I just went and I, I just flew to L.A. Right. And what I would do, I would look through the papers, and then when it was an open house, like on a Sunday, you know, I'd say like noon to four. I'd get there quarter to four, look around, pick up a brochure, and then just go like hide in the closet. And when the realtor locked the place up, I'd live there for a couple, couple of days. Oh, my God. That's <laughs> ingenious. No, no, it worked It worked great. And I didn't destroy anything. I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't trying to wreck anything. Except one day, I was, uh, it turned out to be one of the houses I was sleeping in was owned by one of the Beach Boys. Ah. And it was for sale, and I was, I'm sleeping, and just the realtor comes through with a family. Here's the bed. Who are you? Oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> were you ever? Were you ever? Were you ever busted? Were you ever arrested? Not for that. I got picked up twice for vagrancy, but not for, not for that. Is it? Is it true? Your Hollywood star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame is one of those spots where you were picked up for vagrancy. Yeah. Well, you know what they used to do is the cop would, if the cops saw you like five times in a night. They go, all right, get in the back. And they put you back to the police car. And then they just drive you around for their whole shift. And then yeah. they'd let you out at dawn. And, you know, look, they were nice guys. I, you know, I wasn't drunk. I wasn't a crazy person. I would tell the cops jokes and, you know, which actually backfired because the next time I got, hey, you're the guy with the joke. I get in the back. <laughs> <laughs> they were getting a free show. Yeah. What's the joke about the phone? Oh, yeah. Then you tell the cops, you know, the joke and they'd laugh. They were, they were actually very nice to me. Yeah. In fact, when I got my walk on Hollywood Fame, a couple of the cops had arrested me. <laughs> oh, that's oh, wild. That's great. That's great. Did you spend some of your uh, earlier stand-up days uh, playing in Philadelphia? Oh, yeah. There used to be a club called Grandma Minis. There used to be a, 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 a comedy work. Um, Did you play David, David Brenner's place back when that was around? There was a guy named... Uh, Jimmy Kayoon, do you remember him? Yes, I do. Yeah, he was. He was like, was he like a Korean comic? No, 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 no. He was. Um, I think he was Middle Eastern. I think he's in. Is he in jail? I, I'm not sure. Uh, yeah. All right. <laughs> so then I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, but it was just, it just very unusual. Right. Right. 
It was just interesting. I remember, I, I remember it, it was a comedy club with a circular staircase, and it said it was seat 45, <laughs> and there were 380 people in there. <laughs> so and, this and, is and a- when I worked there, the guy said to me, this, we're going to keep the window open behind the stage in case there's a fire. Just go out the window. So, okay, thanks. That it's, those stories are great. I mean, and you know, and, and those early because I remember when you when you came on the scene, uh, your your stand up, you know, was just uh, to me, it was just it was just massively impressive and hilarious, oh, and 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 always sh- sharp. But when you started out and you were doing, and I, I don't know if this is correct, but when you started doing uh, gigs at the comedy store, did you end up having to follow prior? Pretty frequently. No, no. I used to like. I used to love to follow Pryor because you know something. Comedians, are, comedians are inherently pretty lazy. We tend to just go where we know the laugh is. Right. And I would watch Richie every. Richie, it was unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, he would literally blow out the room. And I thought, well, I asked Mitzi, could I go on after Richie if we wanted to? But I figured that's the only way you're going to get better. Yeah. And I realized I didn't have an hour's worth of material, and I had about maybe 16 minutes of stuff that really work. You know, if the audience is already laughing and you're just jumping in on the laugh, and so, but to get to the real core of it, and it really helped me hone the craft, as they say, because you got to find out what really worked. Instead of trying to find a sympathetic audience, find the hardest audience you can play and see if the stuff works. It was, it's, you know, that that, and we, I mentioned she recently passed away, um, um, and, and she was she was integral to a lot of comedians' careers. Oh, yeah. what, what are your memories of her? Oh yeah, no, it was terrific when we started. You know, the problem was she was like everybody's comedy mom. Yeah, and when you were starting out, it was great. And as you sort of grew and you got off on your own, she tended to be a little sort of patriarchal. You know, you should be doing. Oh, that's not what I do. You, you, you know what I mean? It, yeah. She 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 couldn't let go. You know, um, and that was kind of the problem. I mean, it was really wonderful when we started, but you know, like any sort of rebellious person, as most comedians tend to be, they don't want to be told what to do. And I think there was a lot of things like that happened. I mean. Um, it was just, it was an interesting time, you know, Mitzi, uh, that's when all the comedians went on strike, you know, and they yeah. wanted to get $25 a set, and Mitzi said, nobody, this is a college, you're here to learn, and everybody thought, well, you're making a lot of money, I mean, can't we at least get a sandwich out of it, you know, it was one, and yeah. I don't think, it wasn't that Mitzi was greedy, it's just that she had this personal relationship, so it was, it was, it was tricky, it was, it was, it was interesting, yeah. it was a wonderful time, I mean, it was, me and Letterman and Robert Williams and all the guys. I mean, it was, you know, it's so funny. I watched this. I've seen this show, uh, I'm Dying Up Here. On, yeah, right, on, uh, right. On show. And although it's a good show, it's not really accurate to me because everybody in it is depressed and miserable. I mean, when we were young comics, on, it was great. We all cheered one another. When I did my first Tonight Show, Robin Williams and everybody came and said, in fact, if you watch the tape, you can hear, <laughs> you hear Robin's goofy laugh at the back. Uh, you know, and when when he did the show, I went, and we all supported one another. And that's, I mean, obviously there are petty jealousies and stuff that go on, mm-hmm. but not to any great extent. You know, I always tell young comedians, you'll always get more work from other comedians than you'll ever get from uh, an agent or somebody like that. I mean, Steve Martin brought Johnny in to see me. Harvey Corman brought Johnny in to see me. Wow. Uh, you know, I brought Johnny in to see Ellen DeGeneres. I mean, and you know, we all 
kind of help one another. I think it's still the case today. I mean, uh, most comics, you can't do every gig every day. You know, there's plenty of work for everybody, you know. So uh, comics do tend to support one another. I mean, there are some exceptions, obviously, but for the most part, it's it's a great business. It's fun. Well, speaking of a simpler time, Jay, I just wanted to give you an update. Uh, Jimmy Tyune passed away last year, and he went to prison uh, about 25 years ago for racketeering. (laughs) He did did know the comedy works. You were correct about that. He was a local right. politician, uh, but uh, right, rest right. in peace, Jimmy Tyune. You know something? I used to, those those guys used to make, make me laugh. You know, see, I'm still young enough to do, to remember, I did clubs and they were run by the mob. No, oh, yeah. They were run by, like, the Marriott Corporation. You know, right. but then, then they were run by the mob. And I remember I played a place in Jersey. I'm not even going to say the name of it, but these two guys come up to me and they go, hey, Jay. How you doing? I'm Anthony. This is my brother Tony. That's your Anthony. Tony. So we do collections for the boss, and we know that you're Italian, and we're Italian. And you know, sometimes funny things happen to us when we're doing collections. And we thought maybe if we told you one of our funny stories, you would incorporate it in your comedy routine. Is that? I said, I said, sure, Anthony. And Tony, what's a funny story? She tells, she tell me, okay, we go to this guy's. Got some kind of machine shop. You know, he owes ten thousand dollars. He doesn't want to pay him. I said, "You got to pay." He says, "I'm not paying." He says, "You got to pay." He turns his back to me. So I take a screwdriver. Boom! I stick the screwdriver on top of his head. You know, it goes right into his head. And he turns around. He grabs me by the throat. I take my gun. Boom! I pull the screwdriver right off the top of his head. <laughs> oh my god! Oh my god! Is that something you could? I said, you know, that's a great story for Ellen. Yeah. <laughs> it's a great story for Ellen. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, that, that is funny. There was years ago I did, I did stand-up as well, and there I played in one, I think it must have been one of those last, you know, um, mob-owned comedy places, and it was that kind of vibe, you know? But, but, oh, yeah. uh, it's, it's hilarious. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, very, very funny. <laughs> so I, I wanted to ask you, because I think a lot of people, you know, obviously from The Tonight Show and everything, but... It, you 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 have they're familiar with your your stand up uh, maybe on maybe some are strictly on a level of a of a monologist doing you know the the, the beginning right. of the show not really understanding that you have a vast comedy career before that do you find that that's kind of an eye opener for people when they come and see you well sometimes you know sometimes people go oh we thought you're going to bring a chair and desk out and like interview people <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> yeah yeah but you know it's so funny it's like. It, it just makes me laugh. I mean, at the Academy of Music, it makes it sound very pretentious, you know. Because somebody said to me the other day, they asked me, well, "How do you like?" I was at uh, where was I? I was in Wilmington, in North Carolina. It was a nice theater, and they said, "How do you like the lights?" You know, and I said, "Whatever lights you got are fun," because you know, I, I once I used to play strip clubs, and th- th- this is a classic example of bad lighting. I went, there was a strip club outside Atlanta called the Mine Shaft that I worked. And the gimmick to the club was the club had no lights. When guys came in, they paid $5 to get in, and then they paid $10 to get a miner's hat with a light on. <laughs> oh my God. That's, that's great. So the miner's the miner, the miner hat was the only light. In the club. So I would just be standing completely in the dark and it'd be like a naked woman, maybe five feet to my right. And cause every, every, every light would be on her. You know, I'd just be in the, in the dark, you know, and when somebody looked at me, it was like a Harley headlight. Ow, ow, you know, you couldn't, you couldn't, you, you, you'd just be these stupid, 
lights on. So people go, how are the lights? They go, fine. Are they stationary? Fine. It's fine. <laughs> that is hilarious. Oh, man. I did. Well, what was the name of the place again? The... the- the mind shaft. The mind shaft. I would have to, if I was on stage, I would have to be pointing and, and look over to your right, ladies and gentlemen, just to watch all the lights pan over oh, yeah. while you're I mean, up on just to entertain yourself. Yeah, and of course, then they'd just be guys looking at, looking for the men's room, whatever else. So the lights are just all over the place. Oh it's like this. It was like the stupidest place. Oh, you it's can't, hilarious. Though. You can't make that up. That's <laughs> hilarious. Oh no, no, hilarious, hilarious. So you're you're in Philadelphia right now. Are you um are you doing a spot at QVC today? I am doing a spot at QVC, and you know, I've been doing these Jay Leno car care products. This is stuff we developed in my garage. I realized the best thing to do is just take a check from the big company, but it's more fun to kind of come up with the stuff yourself. So I'm really proud of the product. It's doing really well, actually. We did. QVC like a month ago, and we sold out, and it went great. So well, they asked me back again. What is the specific uh, product, uh, uh, Jay? Well, there's tire dressing, there's a detailer, there's polish. Um, you know, the idea behind it was I make my money doing comedy, so we keep the profit margin as thin as possible <laughs> right. to get the highest quality product for the same price. And it seems to be paying off. You know, it's interesting. When we came out with it, I expected all kinds of snarky comments. Oh, Jay Leno some stupid product. But, <laughs> but actually, uh, you know, it's actually really good. People have been, the comments are really good. Everybody seems to like well, it. Well, they, they, they know you're the, the real deal when it comes to, to, to the car stuff. Uh, you well, know, I, know and so. I mean, you, you, have, yeah. you have vast amounts of cred. I just have to bring up one other thing, too, because yeah. we all watched when you went on that ride with the uh, the stunt driver. Is it Bob Riggles' his name? Oh, Bob Riggles, yeah, yeah, the... Uh... Yeah, he wasn't a stunt driver. He he races that the, what they call the Hemi under glass. Hemi under glass. I, yeah, I used to, I used to build the models as a kid of the Hemi right, under glass. Right, right. And put, uh, it, put an M eighty in it. And <laughs> <laughs> uh, stick a dynamite. Uh, but you, how many times did you flip over in that car when he took that turn? Uh, a couple of times. I'm not really sure how many times it is. It it looks a lot worse than it was when it happened, but. Uh, it was oh, great for ratings. People love it anytime they think you're going to get killed. <laughs> yeah, it's really good for ratings. I, I had the thrill of riding shotgun with uh, with Jimmy Johnson uh, a couple of weeks ago up at uh, Pocono Raceway, and oh, cool. uh, yeah, it was it was pretty incredible. Um, are, are there any you know thrill rides you've taken that stand out in your mind that you've had the opportunity, or would you rather be you know behind the wheel yourself, or do you mind you know letting a, a pro take over like that? Well, either one. I mean, yeah. about uh, last week on our show. We, you know, all these companies say that cars go 200 miles an hour, but most really don't. They go 189, 191. So we went to Chevrolet and they said, give us a completely stock VR1 Corvette. You claim it'll do over 200. Let's see how it does. And we went 204 miles an hour, 50 miles. Jeez. It, was, it was rock steady the whole way. I was very, like, it was very impressive. Hey, wait, very wait, impressive. where do you stand on, I mean, because now you, you have these, the, uh, the electric cars are getting insane acceleration and uh, right. wait, wait, are you are you a purist on you know it has to be a combustion engine or, or no no i i mean to me look racers especially just want to go fast you got something that goes faster that's fine mm-hmm. you know it's so funny it's like when uh, one of the companies come out with that semi truck that you see that's all aerodynamic all the truckers laughed at it until it got like 16 miles a gallon instead of nine right and then they all went crazy for it so no, you can't stop technology. You can't stop progress. You know, I mean, I I think it's fascinating. I mean, if you like piston engines, you'll always have those. But, you know, I've got a Tesla, and that thing is pretty bulletproof. It's never been to the dealer. The engine never wears out. There's nothing. There's no fluids to change. I yeah. mean, that's 
that's pretty much what the future is going to be. You know, it's always been limited by battery technology. I've got a 1909 Baker electric car that goes 80 miles on a charge. Wow. It, it shows you the batteries really didn't change much from the 1800s, 1900s up until now. But now you've got lithium ion and all this kind of stuff. So it's uh, that's the future. Wow, that's right. Do you have anything steam powered? Do you ever go that far back? Oh uh, yeah, I got a lot of steam powered cars. I love steam powered cars. Yeah. I saw one on Jeopardy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. Yeah. yeah. Wow. wow. If you go online, you can see my uh, Stanley steamer blow up in my face. Yeah. <laughs> it means ratings, right? Yeah. Yeah. I oh, think yeah. you're gonna die. Yeah. In I... fact, I have I have the oldest car ever stopped for speeding on the. 405 freeway. I had my 1906 Stanley Steamer. I, it got stopped at 78 miles an hour. It's made of wood and it's on fire. <laughs> and, it, and it says, it says, it says in the manual, should the car catch fire, shut off the fuel and, and open the throttle to increase speed to blow fire out. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's, 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 things are not really you wouldn't see today. Wow. <laughs> how, how do I get the fire out of the car does not appear in the owner's manual. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Oh, yeah. People are expected to do things. I've got a 1938 Vincent motorcycle, and it says, after 1,000 miles, Disassemble engine, check everything, reassemble. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's oh, yeah. out of the skill set of most people. Oh, yeah. oh yeah. yeah. You know, this is what people did before Netflix. They, they fixed stuff. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, Jay, we appreciate your time. And cool. Hey, thanks, guys. Uh, listen, wonderful to talk to you. We're huge fans, and uh, and all the best to you, okay, Jay? Yeah, that's a great story for Ellen. I'll see you guys later. <laughs> <laughs> right, man, we'll see you later. Jay, later, guys. Wow, that's, uh, that's awesome. That's cool. Yeah, He's, very cool. Guy's got some stories, man. I mean, that many years in show business? Yeah. Yeah. And and if you think about his his run on The Tonight Show, was... You know, incredibly successful. He, he retired when he wanted to, and he's uh, and now he just you know, right. he's just enjoying himself and he does comedy when he wants to. Let me get this figure up here, Preston, because it's oh, um, he made right. so much money. Yeah. So what is this? Oh. I, I shot it. Uh, estimated worth. I think this is from Forbes. Three hundred fifty million dollars. Oh. Yikes! God. Did you ever see? And you know, and he and obviously he and uh, Seinfeld are both. Insane car collectors. He's Porsche, right? Seinfeld, mostly. Yeah, yeah. And then I think uh, uh, Leno leans a lot towards American cars, but he'll yeah. he'll do anything. Uh, but uh, there was uh, there was an ad campaign where they were rivals against each other. I don't know if you remember. I remember that, that. Like, ah, Leno. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was great, and, it, and they played off of their their car fascination. Um, so wow, that was cool to have him on. Listen, let's take a break. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes. Stay with us. The Preston and Steve Show podcast. 93.3 WMMR. Everything that rocks.